Retoot. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to a special Montreal sauce. Hi, I'm Chris, and my theory on dad jokes is that they have nothing to do with having kids and everything to do with getting old. My co-host and friend voted number one dad bod in the podcast world by our listeners is Paul. Hi, Paul. Aw, shucks. <laughs> Thanks, listeners. I've been working hard at CrossFit. Uh, it's creepy because it's your mom. Um, <laughs> so a while ago, we talked to an amazing artist in Antwerp, and we called that episode the Super Bowl of Time Zone Conversion. I, I don't know. What should we call this one, Paul? Um, I, do we have to stick with a sports metaphor? I mean, there's lots of other large events. Yeah. yeah. Um, oh, this you is... know, maybe we should, maybe we should pick, uh, the world cups since that's more global or, or, you know, this is like what well, opening weekend of Avengers Endgame. So, Ooh, <laughs> <laughs> it's the, it's the Montreal sauce, uh, Gina's excellent encounters Endgame episode. Um, <laughs> crossover. Um, oh, <laughs> our uh, our guest today. He dries meat. He makes his own beer. He dabbles with hardware. He knows his way around programming and development. He creates a podcast. He makes metal music. He's passionate about open source software, the indie web, hosting your own data, and photography. He's also developing a game, and around the web, he's known as Gina. Welcome, Gina. Hi. That's me. <laughs> I just I just waved to you, like even though we don't do video. <laughs> oh damn it! One day, one day we'll do video. I don't know if yeah. we'll get more or less guests though. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm always confused about video podcasts, but yeah, that's a thing, and apparently. Yeah, maybe maybe we could have we should do like we'll incorporate video into our podcast, but what we'll do is we will um allow people to use that software that like puts like an animal face for their face. Then <laughs> <laughs> or, or you could you could send them uh, uh glasses with a rectangular black uh bar, you know, so oh. they can have the glasses on. <laughs> sure, yeah. I like it. Yeah. What I was uh what I was messing with actually with uh some Python scripts was just trying to generate video purely out of the audio tracks. So I have a, oh. a you know an individual track for me, for Chris and for you. And so I could do mm -hmm. something where like I take our avatars off of uh you know Mastodon or something like that and just show that person uh -huh. when that person's speaking and then that creates a video that I upload to YouTube, but I haven't gotten far enough with my mastery of python audio analysis tools <laughs> in order to make that work well <laughs> and the next step would then be to take tensorflow and through ai try to animate our mouth oh yeah <laughs> that would be really cool actually <laughs> that's the future <laughs> i like the idea in of, 3d perhaps even i like the idea of ai involved because i follow someone on mastodon um, who uh, who experiments with AI and has them do all kinds of crazy things. So I like the idea that an AI is like saying, okay, when Chris says the letter O, his mouth looks like this demon, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but now you said the word mustard on a couple of times without ever explaining it. Is it true? 
Um, this is true. Yes, we should. I think. I think. <laughs> I think when my mom he- hears the word, our audience, my mom, when she hears the word mastodon, she just like says, "Okay, whatever." <laughs> <laughs> but still, uh, perhaps we should at least shortly explain it. Not only talk about it that this like a super cool club which nobody knows about or something. <laughs> wow, you just like called me out and ruined me all in one sentence. Thanks. No, um, dive into it. <laughs> give us the give us the explainer on it because yeah, I think Chris and I both have a pretty good understanding of what it is, but it's certainly something I think we'd like to get more people on. It's not it is not an exclusive club. Please join us there. Uh, where yeah, your exactly. data is safer because it's still yours. Yeah. yeah, but what it is, firstly, it's basically something like a Twitter clone, if, you, if you've never heard about it, but with a twist where there is no company behind it. But people just randomly host servers and those servers communicate to, to each other. Uh, and you can host your own server like I do, for some reason, <laughs> or you can join the many, many uh, servers out there, which are basically, you, you, you could think about it like for email, you, you not everybody joins Google Mail, but people host their own servers. And then you have Hotmail, you have, uh, what do you have more? <laughs> Hotmail, uh, ProtoMail, whatever. And my friend hosts my email, so... Uh, that's sure. kind of nice. Yep. Wow. That's interesting. Every time I've like looked into that, which is like a an incredibly long and complicated sidebar, but it's uh every time I've looked into like hosting your own mail, it's like it sounds like one of those sort of well, similar to like what we're seeing happening in other parts of the web with like Twitter and Facebook yeah. where centralized services are like saying no we're not going to accept you it's, it seems like every time i've looked into hosting my own mail people are like don't do it because gmail's just going to say we've never heard of you before so we're just going to put you in everybody's spam folder you know like hmm. there become there comes I've, a thing about i, I have go ahead uh, i i i mean i've been uh hosted by my friends since oh my god since the beginning of <laughs> internet, basically. <laughs> and he just has me and a couple of friends on it, and we've never had those problems. The only time, <laughs> and here comes the anecdote, the only time we got uh, bl- uh, banned or yeah, put into automatic spam was when I was so stupid to reuse my email password somewhere else. And then people started uh, using my email address and our server to send ma- spam, which meant that uh, basically all the all the other email servers just put us on a blacklist, and yeah. we couldn't uh, send it to anyone. So what he needed to do is to to get a new server with a new IP address and move everything, and then uh, perhaps one year later, I did the same thing. <laughs> And it was so embarrassing. <laughs> so he needed to move it again. But after that, I, I started finally started using uh, like a password manager. And I'm really happy with it now. So I don't remember any passwords. They are all super long, like at least 30 characters. 
Yeah. And yeah, it works much better. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's uh, that just in and of itself is a great uh, tip for different for our listeners from a security perspective. Don't don't reuse your passwords. Get a good password manager and then you can have, you know, one password that you remember that gets you into your password manager. And then your password manager just fills in crazy random passwords on all the different sites that you have logins. They'll all have different passwords. And that way, you know, you know, if your Twitter password got hacked, uh, that password isn't the same one as what's on your Facebook and what's on your uh, your Gmail. And, you know, if you are using these, certainly for for the majority of people who are not all that technical, it's very easy to just use these centralized services. And if you're using the same password on all of them, um, you're in real uh, danger of that password getting hacked on one service and, and tr- being reused then, you know, people trying to reuse that password elsewhere, as has happened to Gina. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And not only once, twice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Password managers are really good, uh, are really amazing. I think OS 10 actually does, or uh, sorry, Mac OS. I'm starting to show my age. Uh, <laughs> Mac OS does a, a decent job with its built in keychain stuff, although it's a little bit opaque, but you can use it and it, it works fairly well. But things like, uh, 1Password, and I'm trying to think of what the other big one is. Um, LastPass. LastPass is the other big one. And, and I know there's also a, a pretty good open source one uh, that's available on Linux, or maybe LastPass has a, has a Linux uh, variant. I'm, well. I'm using an open source one, which is called KeePassXC. Yeah, that's yes. what I was thinking of, <laughs> yeah. KeePass. Yep. Yeah. So... Uh, I, I don't want to use like a commercial one or something because f- for some reason I mean I don't know what they what they do with the binary I have no idea what they are doing I have no way of sure. checking it yep and if I'm going all the way to use Linux to for for my freedoms yep. then uh, there's no um, no point of uh, not running also our open source uh, password manager. Yep. But but the the drawback is obviously that then those commercial ones they have like a nice backend which uh, synchronizes your database between your phone and your all your all your laptops and your desktop computer and everywhere. Sure. Uh, this is not uh, possible. Uh, this is not built in into the Keepers X. But what I do is just basically using sync. Uh, sync thing yeah. <laughs> which is uh, which is a, a synchronizing uh, thing basically which you run on all your devices and you don't need that central server like your dropbox or anything it just uh, if you have one of those uh, devices online then all the other devices can then get the data from this device and this is how i basically put uh, put my database with all the passwords everywhere i have a master password on it and a key file and so i'm hoping that it's secure enough (laughs) yeah but especially because i don't use uh, the, the the database is never on any device which i don't own i feel it's quite good yep yep and even if it somehow found its way onto a device you don't own, 
the the database itself is encrypted and it's encrypted with the password that ideally only you know so um so even in that case it would be very very difficult for somebody even though they have technically they have all the data but they can't reassemble it unless they know your password exactly yeah it was interesting because i was trying to convince like my father-in-law to use like a password manager and my mother-in-law because they're like oh trying to keep track of all these passwords i'm like that's one reason to use a password manager and then my father-in-law was like kind of he didn't snap at me but it it felt like he was really confused because he's like so he knows how much i'm concerned about privacy but he's like but then someone else has all your passwords (laughs) and i was like no, I, <laughs> I, I have all my passwords. Like, but someone else has all your data, so why not let like someone else host your passwords if you want to use one password or last password? <laughs> like, I was like, I, I don't understand. I mean, he, he's not. What, but what? he's not totally wrong. <laughs> no, I, I. That's where I ran into trouble because technically, like, I'm yeah. using a plugin on, on Nextcloud, but I recently switched to use like a service to host ah. Nextcloud instead of hosting it myself. So I'm like, yeah, technically, someone else does have my passwords. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But that's still uh, kind of okay if you use open source stuff. I feel that someone will find out that someone is doing something wrong. I just have the problem with binaries on my computer where where nobody has access to to the source code to check anything. Right. Yeah. Right. It has to be all you really have at that point is your trust in that company and and the further exactly. the further we get into uh <laughs> the further we get into the 2000s the more that we discover that companies uh a they generally act in their own best interest and sometimes your security isn't necessarily in their best interest and and b you know if you are the customer to them and your data has value then certainly your you know they want to keep the data secure but not necessarily on your behalf um and so uh there there can be some conflict of interest there and and certainly going into a complete open source lifestyle you have the power of all of these people that use this software and write this software um, acting as checks and balances against each other. So uh, on some level, um, you know, you don't have to be a programmer, but you can have a better trust that the community has reviewed this and looked at it and, and that there isn't, um, you know, there isn't somebody out there with, with an alternate agenda sneaking code onto your computer. Yeah. Even though they try, certainly so they try. If you yeah, look at, yeah. If, if you look, sometimes uh, they show it uh, when people when I don't know who exactly, but uh, not companies, but uh, what is it, uh, CIA or what uh, they all the NSA, called, yeah. Are tra- yep. yeah, they try to sneak in stuff which looks like a bug. Uh, sure. Yeah. But then, if you if you un- really understand what is going on, then uh, yeah, then yeah. you see that it's not a bug; it's a feature for them. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. For them, it's a feature. For the NSA, the those security bugs are features, definitely. And I and I think sometimes it's sometimes it's they're trying to get code in to the into the project, and other times, 
uh, they are just aware of vulnerabilities that they're not that they don't make the project aware of because you know yeah. they don't want that closed. They want to they want to be able to use that data somehow. So um, yeah. even if they're not actively a- using it, they want to know that it's there. Yeah, exactly. And this is a weird thing for for a state uh, uh, driven. Uh, what do you call it? It's uh, like NSA SR security. Yeah, agency. Yeah, kind of thing. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's a state agency which knows about uh, problems which uh, like people will have, and they don't tell about it because they want to use it for something else. So instead of helping with security, they decrease it, the security for right. for, for everyone. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. it's, in, it's it's interesting because like um, kind of switching gears, I, I was trying to like come up with like a solid pitch for like Sean, our last guest, for we distribute because I was like. I couldn't quite put it to words and I really wasn't ready to pitch to him. So I was just kind of having a conversation with him, but I kind of feel like things become normal after a while. Right. And so the level of privacy that we have now is normal to like younger generations than the three of us. And so I sometimes feel like the younger open source community is like, well, I want to, you know, I want to reinvent this like GPS, like check-in, application and make it open source and i'm like no you do not want to do you know like (laughs) you don't want to like collect that kind of data but it's like Mm. they're used to it because like the level of normalcy is different now for them so i find that kind of fascinating and i just sounded like a grumpy old man when i was pitching it to sean (laughs) like you youngsters (laughs) and you're developing like things that are screwing up But that's the old uh, uh, story about the frog in the water, where it gets warmer and warmer really slowly until the uh, frog cooks without really knowing about it because it's so gradually, so you don't really feel that it's getting really hot already. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. It's uh, it's interesting. Hey, um, so why? So similar to Mastodon, like we met, I believe, like with the tent, the now deceased tent project, which was another that sort of true, yeah. another sort of host your own, and um, and you 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 left the project quite early because they had done an update which broke the whole hosting your own thing, and a, a lot of other people yeah. were discouraged by that, and uh, so. So I, I was curious, like, why why are you so passionate about sort of like hosting your own and and that kind of open source uh, ideology? Uh, basically, so one that was uh, one thing which I was always passionate about, and which then all this other stuff is derived from, is uh, freedom, freedom like. Uh, li- liberty basically and I want to be free to make my own mistakes I want to be free to 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 do whatever I deemed to be the best uh, for for me and uh, the and the close my close ones and so on 
So from from that uh, like philosophical point of view, uh, I somehow arrived uh, at. I, I was listening to, for example, uh, Richard Stallman and people like like that who who are. So so we've been talking about open source a lot, but I'm. I'm on the side of Richard Solomon <laughs> who says he doesn't care about open source because that's just for the developers who wants to see code and so on but he doesn't care about that and I don't either it what we care about is user freedom so to to like learn from the code reuse the code change it and distribute it give it to our friends and stuff like this we want to be uh, own our computing devices basically and that's 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 derived from the from the bigger freedoms uh, which we have uh, kind of in democratic countries at least where we can basically do whatever we want as long as it doesn't hurt anyone else uh, okay there are some uh, some uh, borders to that which i might not like for one of them is for example that we we don't allow the use of drugs for like uh, people who are over say 21 and they in my opinion they should be able to destroy their lives if they want to uh, but we somehow uh, know better sure. than them. Yep. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and yeah, it kind of like so. Th this this freedom thing is like all over all over the place for me, at least. At if also at work, that's one of the main things uh, which drives me when when I fight with uh, IT departments. I always say the maximum freedom completely open internet for everyone uh, everyone has, should have admin access to everything so they are not blocked sure and stuff like this yeah so uh, this this freedom thing seems really important to me <laughs> <laughs> and from that i derive then also self-hosting because then i i can choose when i want to update i can choose what software i want to run I can choose uh, who I connect to or don't, who I block and who I don't block. For example, if even in Mastodon, if uh, on Mastodon, if you're on a server, this server could block. Uh, uh, there's like functionality in it, so you can block other servers as an administrator. This is done because uh, obviously as an administrator you are responsible for for the content which is even cached mm -hmm. on your server and then you want to block like child pornography or and stuff like this so it it would never even uh, be uh, come to your server so so if if something happens you can you can be sure that there is nothing like that because you blocked it as an administrator but obviously this can be then misused uh, to to block uh, political views and stuff like this and then if you're on such a server you 
you might not even know that it blocks all the left wing, extreme left wing, uh, political sure. views, right, and stuff like this. And you get into a bubble, and then you, yeah, stuff, yeah. And that's why why I like to host my my own stuff <laughs> yep. if it's possible. Yeah. Because no, then you know, you know, you're the person that has control of, um, okay, I know for sure I don't need to see the stuff that comes off of this particular Mastodon instance. You're the person making yeah. that decision, not, you know, the, exactly. the person who you're being hosted by. Exactly. It's a lot of work, but it seems still worth it. For email, I gave it to a friend of mine I, who I personally know uh, because I trust him. Uh, yep. but yeah, he doesn't want to, to host my <laughs> Mastodon instance, <laughs> so I need to do it myself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's kind of, uh, the, the story. I really, I really like how you explain like user freedom though. Like, um, I think that kind of hits on some things that I've never really sort of, uh, articulated for myself. Like. I, I think we've had this discussion on the show before, like, I, I don't think, um, you know, we can totally abolish, like, uh, you know, corporations and, like, um, software that is closed source, but at the same time, like, what you said about learning from open source and, and, and the user being able to make the choice, I think that's what's really important to me. And, and it's so fascinating to me, like, to watch like it's so interesting like it's kind of like we have this conversation about um prescription drugs in our in our countries about how um especially in north america where like a company can come out they copyright their drug and then they change the formula ever so slightly so they can re-copyright it so that no one else can make it mm. and they still get their money and it's it's interesting to me that i can like if I was Google, like I could build this like open source, like, you know, s operating system for phones like Android. And then like, I'm just borrowing code from other people, from other Linux projects and like mm -hmm. saying like, look what we put together. And then all of a sudden, like I put it like a TM on it because I've changed one little thing, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> right, right. Yeah. It's, it's it's like we don't have that uh, conversation about software and I bet we will in the future, but like it's happening in the drug world here in North America anyway. Like, how can you do that? Like, no, but we do have it in software also. That's the whole, uh, copyleft, uh, discussion where uh, if you have a strong copyleft, then people cannot, I mean, the, what they can do is like put put a label on it, but they cannot close the code. But sure. if you have a weak uh, copyleft license, like MIT or something like that, mm -hmm. then they can do exactly like that. Mm. But but companies are so afraid of copyleft that they would rather that people would take their code and uh, change the name than uh, <laughs> than do a copyleft license like GPL. Or something like that. Uh, yeah, I'm. I, I still don't quite understand the whole reasoning, but it's mostly, as far as I understand, it's mostly fear and misunderstanding of of the licenses, what they mean, mm -hmm. and so on. Yeah, and I'm, I'm working in the automobile industry where we 
where we really struggle to 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 t- take the step basically to sure uh to do it yeah i was uh i was test driving uh an ev this morning and uh one of the items in the menu i was just kind of exploring the menus to see what the software that comes on the ev does uh, which I guess is a whole nother <laughs> a whole nother discussion that we could get into is like what about the software that's on these you know really you're buying the mm-hmm. EV you're buying the car and you have the freedom to drive it wherever you want until you don't I suppose and yeah. uh, and does the software inhibit you from doing that kind of stuff but anyway I'm, I, I was exploring the menus and one of the options in the menu is uh, an option that I'm sure compliance had to mandate at some point because it said open source licenses and obviously you had to be parked in order to view it because it was going to be pages (laughs) and pages and pages of text (laughs) but uh but you could pull it up and and as you go through it you know the the gnu licenses in there uh the gpl is in there uh the bsd licenses in there the mit licenses in there so there's all kinds of and and each one of them is attributed to whatever open source piece of software uh, they were using for some under- underlying part. And I think it's probably unsurprising that, you know, this car, at least some component of it, it might be the radio, it might be the master control system, but some part of it is running probably Linux um, and all kinds of, you know, tool chains underneath it that are all open source because, yeah, it probably doesn't make sense if you're a big auto manufacturer uh, to make your own OS when that work is out there and it is great and you don't even have to pay a license for it if you don't want to. Um, but at the same time, that doesn't, even the way those licenses are structured, and I think a lot of companies are afraid that, oh, if I put my put the, put the some piece of GPL software in my, in, in my product, that means that m- the code that I write now has to be GPL'd as well. Um, I think some companies are figuring out, you know, how to handle that and, and how to do different things. But that was where there was really a bias set, especially in the nineties. And I think the early two thousands of, you know, these GPL licenses and these copyleft licenses are, are a cancer because they're going to try to forcibly free all of our source code and all of our intellectual property. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah it's funny how ambiguous uh, the language is uh, which we use for that like cancer and free uh, yeah. at the same time and right. stuff like this <laughs> right yeah but yeah but yeah uh, you're totally right uh, a lot of uh, like at least the head units which are the uh, the ivi systems basically in vehicle infotainment and so on nowadays basically all the car manufacturers run linux yeah uh, for them sure. because it's it is an embedded device but it's so powerful that it's basically like a desktop with uh, 8 gigabytes of ram and half a terabyte of ssd and stuff like this and then ridiculously so can- ridiculously slow networking to other parts of the car <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah that's true because it's can so yeah <laughs> yeah yeah it talks at like you know 900 baud to the can bus or something like that but yeah oh exactly yeah <laughs> you can hear the modem dialing if you're quiet enough 
<laughs> but that's is that might be that uh, the other node is all uh, really slow also because sure. it's not oh, yeah. like a big Linux thing or no, yeah. it's just a small chip or something. Absolutely, and there there are open source uh, tools like you say the the whole tool chains everything is basically open source. There's there are big build systems which build. Uh, custom Linux distributions, which then are used in the cars. And uh, basically, yeah, as far as I know, basically all of the car manufacturers um, uh, had been on Windows before, or but the, have moved to Linux, either to Android like Volvo, or... <laughs> Or to, uh, or uh, if you've seen uh, Tesla ran on uh, Ubuntu fourteen oh four or something in the beginning, <laughs> <laughs> but most of the people, uh, most of the camera manufacturers use this uh, project which, co- which is called Yocto, which uh, uh, it's like a build system and a base uh, Linux uh, custom base Linux distribution where you can then easily. Uh, put in open source stuff uh, uh, where there are recipes for that uh, all over the internet and at the same time your your own software in the same way as you would pull in the open source stuff and it has like uh, so many advantages that you can't get away from 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 linux in a car basically sure yep i I was just giggling at the idea of like them using Windows and just like having like Clippy pop up in the screen. Like, <laughs> I see you're trying to cut off a SUV twice yeah. the size as you. Would you like some help? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it was Windows CE, which is this uh, embedded yeah. Windows thingy. Right. Yeah. yeah. Now, Mom in the chat room said, asked if we were streaming, and uh, I don't know if the nice cast is working or not. Um, oh, it says that it is on and should be streaming, okay. but uh, you guys continue, and I'll see if I can check it on my yeah. phone and see if it's mm-hmm. working. Um, so, yeah, you work for a company, they just like changed names recently, like, uh, but that develops. Oh, we've been bought, bought bought up basically right we, i i worked for a really small company like uh, <laughs> 40 people and uh, three years ago we've been bought by a company which was fourteen thousand people and now this company has been bought by a company which has one hundred and forty thousand people wow so yeah i guess i work for a fortune 500 company now. <laughs> <laughs> was that i mean you're you know the company that you started for, and I assume that you're still with, is uh, all mm. your tools that you guys are creating and making are open source. Like uh, I assume that was part of like your, um, since it's uh, such a big part of your sort of uh, moral code that that's like something you were looking for in a job or. Absolutely, one hundred percent. When I was done with my studies at the university. Uh, I was looking for a job and I mean, I've been an iPhone uh, app developer and web developer before that, but I didn't want to do it anymore. Right. And I was looking for open source jobs and uh, the guy who who I 
made my bachelor's thesis together with. He somehow got into this company, which which already back then was like uh, uh, really into open source at least, perhaps not uh, <laughs> not free software, but at least like <laughs> open source. Which <laughs> and he he knew he knew me and he knew about the fact, like you said, that I'm passionate about this stuff, and he told me. Perhaps you would like to to join us because we are doing this uh, open source thing. Uh, so I think you would like it. And then, yeah, I did, <laughs> and that was why why I started there. Yeah. And now, yeah, now we we still uh, do the the thing. We we open source a lot of software which we write. We have the a custom Linux distribution for. For car manufacturers, and we what we do is basically we we have a lot of expertise how to start big projects, uh, and we have a platform uh, where you can start your project with, and we we have like blueprints for the project and for the for the whole tool chain CI and so on, and then we go to big car companies and tell them, look, you could you don't need to buy the software from your tier one and need to to repay the full price every two years you could just pull it in into uh, and get the expertise yourself uh, and we can show you how to do it <laughs> <laughs> and that's uh, that's that seems to to work really well because we we are really expensive as uh, what do you call it if you don't work for that company, but you're a uh, uh, freelance, uh, no, no, uh, contract. We don't work for, yeah. <laughs> no, uh, what is it called? Uh, I don't remember. But someone who comes and shows uh, how stuff is done and then goes away, basically. Mm. Consulting. Uh, yeah, consulting exactly. Yeah. So we are really expensive consultants. Are super expensive because we, uh, because we know a lot of stuff. Basically, we know how to start up a big project with two hundred and fifty people and so on, uh, which is rare. And we have this this unique insight into the whole uh, into the whole automobile industry. We've been doing it now a couple of times, and we know how to tackle the the IT departments. <laughs> <laughs> to to give the developers more freedom because i mean i a car manufacturer they don't do software right. uh, or they haven't done software they have no idea how to do it they have the the uh they they know how to do metal stuff and uh, now they would need to learn the software side also because the software is eating up their world once you once you get to an electric car, there's not much metal to to bend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's true. Yeah. I yeah i I find it. I I just think that's really cool too. Like I I I think like I learned about that listening to your podcast and like kind of just looking up the company you worked for. Um, but it, it's just really mm -hmm. impressive because I, I think. Uh, and I'm not like calling out people like that's a, it's a difficult decision to make because you have to live and eat and stuff. But I think like a, mm. so much of the 
the issues we have with Silicon Valley that come out like it's because like someone has like an idea and they just get like obsessed with the idea and they don't sort of realize like <laughs> the side effects of like this thing that they've made that has now, you know, I mean, look at Twitter, like we did we, yeah. I'm sure we had like, you know, um, piling on and, and that kind of dogpiling um, public shaming stuff happening in other venues, but like Twitter has made it like a, uh, you know, it's almost one of their it's selling points. Centralized. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that's where the whole internet goes to, to do it, basically. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's always, I mean, for me but, personally, but you, when I was working in a lot more like uh, commercial stuff, it was like I was talking to a friend mm. who I think we did have on the show who does 3D work. And we just, we talked about how like you would say, okay, the client wants, you know, this thing to happen in the video. How the heck am I going to do that? And so you get sort of mm. obsessed with, like, how can I make this happen? Like, how do I do this? This is so cool. Like, I get to play with this. This is my job. It's awesome. But the end result is selling people products they don't need. <laughs> like, it, 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 yeah. it kind and of... You, it, it, it just kind of eats at you after yeah. a while, or maybe when you get older and more, you know lived more experience you kind of think like well, is this what i want to do but uh so i'm i'm really like i think that's really awesome that you found a job in open source so on the one side you're right it's awesome to to have uh, to to have the impact with open source and so on on the other side cars uh, and car car industry is basically one of the main besides like uh, meat <laughs> yeah it's basically one of the main things which destroys our world so yeah. i pff, jesus it's uh it it not, crossed my mind not only once it it does it uh, constantly that i'm helping to destroy the world basically and it even in the in during my first interview at the company I said because they asked me do you have a car and so I, I said no I don't want to have a car because uh, yeah of uh, uh, yeah I don't want to destroy the world basically or help with it uh, and then they asked me but you don't have anything against cars and I said <laughs> I lied and I said no <laughs> because I wanted the job because <laughs> I mean I ca just came out of university I had uh, bills to pay I had uh, I got money from my dad and from my brother which I needed to pay back and so on so but it was not the truth so I kind of don't like cars even though most of my family and friends they somehow work in the car industry my dad worked in the car industry half of his life uh here my friends work at volvo and so on yeah it's difficult uh yeah so i would so in the long run i would like to to move somewhere else for example to green energy that there's a lot of need of people like me also where yeah. you need to prepare like smart grids and stuff like this or medical devices where where you really help save lives and not destroy lives <laughs> yeah. yeah but yeah i'm still, still struggling and yeah it will happen sometime 
It's a good point. I mean, you can find that sort of, uh, I hate to, uh, well, I don't hate to, but I, uh, I, I hesitate to sort of like generalize label like capitalism it, but like <laughs> there is that sort of, mm-hmm. you can find capitalism in any industry, right? Like, like I was sort of saying about the prescription drug industry, like, yeah, this is a, Absolutely. It looks like a great job from the outside because you're helping people, but those companies are sort of holding mm. people ransom. Like, oh, you need this medication? Mm. We know it works. It's like $6,000 a bottle now. So, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I think you'll find that in any yeah. industry. So, <laughs> <laughs> yay, yay yeah, capitalism. Just living destroys the world. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so you uh I'll jump back in uh for a second like you so you you were born in Poland and then did you move to Germany for your dad's work or no, no not really for work. So uh I'm not sure how familiar you and the listeners are about like the history the like during the World War One and Two in in Germany and Poland and, and so on, but I'm from a part of Poland which was Germany be, before World War Two, which is Silesia or Upper Silesia. Okay, it's I'm born really close to Auschwitz, so my my grandma and granddad they lived like five kilometers from Auschwitz, and Auschwitz is exactly on the border, be- on the old border between Poland and Germany on the Polish side, but they lived on the German side. Uh, and because yeah, it's it's too long for for this discussion, but basically, all my all my uh, grandparents were German. Mm. And we, uh, for different reasons, they didn't move to Germany. They didn't flee to Germany just after World War II. All of them for different reasons. Uh, and then they found each other uh, there and like married and had children and so on. Uh, but we were always this minority of Germans in Poland, basically. Ah. Uh. And uh, my dad was like a, a anti-communist, and he really struggled uh, there in Poland, in communist Poland. <laughs> so uh, he didn't want to join the the party, and that made it super difficult to buy land, to get a car, to to do basically ev- anything. And they, he and my mom, they they just wanted to to basically flee back to Germany, even though it was like two generations in between, <laughs> or at least for me. So my, my dad is also born in Poland after World War II, and my, my, my mom also. So we we kind of got a one-day uh, tourist visa, and it was in uh, August 89, just two months before the Berlin, <laughs> Berlin Wall fell. Wow, and we we stayed. We 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 took the bus uh, to West Germany, and then we stayed. We stayed in a uh, what do you call it? In a, in a re- refugee camp for two weeks, and then we got a train ticket to Bavaria, and then we lived there as, ever since. My parents still live there. Wow, and so did did you? 
I know you went to university in Sweden. Did you move to Sweden for some other reason, or did you move to go to school? <laughs> yeah, it, it was a different reason. So <laughs> back back in two thousand two, when I bought my first computer, I was really late with computers. But I bought my first computer, and I had ICQ. Yeah, and then uh, then the, in ICQ there's a there's a function uh, where you can click on it, and it will, it will just choose someone random from the whole world who is also online on ICQ, oh. and then you can start chatting. And there was a girl from Sweden who. Uh, used this functionality and she found me and then we married and then I moved to Sweden. Oh, That's I, the story. I didn't know you, you were the same as me and you moved to another country for, <laughs> for love. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Sadly, it, uh, it didn't, yeah. Uh, yeah, it didn't last, but then I was already here. So I thought, uh, why, why not stay here? And, uh, I, I said, basically I said because of her, daughter she was like two years old when i met her and then i i became like her second dad because her dad lived far far away and then it felt kind of wrong to just move mm -hmm. away from her just because i'm not together with her mom anymore <laughs> yeah <laughs> and then i found uh, a job here and then i went to university and yeah and now I'm stuck. <laughs> no, no. I can move wherever I want, but somehow I've been moving so much in my life, like between countries, and starting over is always quite hard, especially when it come, when you don't speak the language then in the new, yeah. new country. I, I'm not sure. How is it for you? Because everybody speaks English where you live, or is it a French language? Uh, part or how is it uh no like um there so yeah canada is like bilingual and their both languages are their national languages and um so there are there are some communities here who prefer french but like uh this uh -huh. isn't like the 80s when like quebec would like wanted to separate and everything like people are pretty cool about <laughs> using english okay so that hasn't been a huge challenge for me and um and it's not as prevalent the french language here as it would be like over like in the mid or eastern side of canada but i see that being said what mm -hmm. what i found interesting was um Coming from the Midwest, um, you know, I <laughs> one of my first uh, sort of <laughs> one of my first real kind of interesting uh, things that I noticed when I got here was like I was taught in history books and in school that America was like the melting pot. Like, there's all these great stories uh -huh. of refugees and people coming to Ellis Island and becoming citizens of the U.S. because the you know, all these dreams, like, in the freedom of the U.S. Oh. And um, I was from the Midwest, which was predominantly um, white Dutch people. <laughs> like, and, <laughs> nice. <laughs> and now that I live in, like, a, a, a 
a, a larger city and a city that is also the capital of the province, um, I was just blown away about all the cultures that I have met since I moved here. You know, Pakistani people, Congolese refugees. Like, I, it's just amazing. So in that way, like, I haven't suffered like a language barrier, but it, it is like difficult when other people are learning English, like to like follow along with mm -hmm. them. And, um, and I think if I was back home and I ran into someone, well, I would hope I wouldn't be like too judgmental, but it's easier when you're surrounded by other people to be like, well, just learn the language or, you know, <laughs> like, but, <laughs> yeah. but here I've been, um, I've been pretty like, okay, like, can you just repeat that for me? Like, um, and I feel like the one who is the problem, right? Like I need to open my mind more, which is funny that I say that because my best friend in the Midwest <laughs> was Vietnamese. But yeah, I, I found yeah. it, I found it really interesting, like that Canada is kind of a melting pot out here in um, the West of Canada. There is kind of like, um, well, in Canada in general, there has been like population issues because it's such a huge country but there's not a lot of people here. So they did a lot in the last couple of years for bringing people in. Like if you are a skilled laborer and we need like a skilled laborer in a certain area, mm -hmm. you can easily get citizenship in Canada because they want people. So that's kind of, it's kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 Interesting. Okay. I don't and know. Was it? I somehow somehow I I'm not sure. It's it's mostly me because of my heritage, where I come from. My grand uh, I I know my grandparents who lived during the war, so I always kind of have my history is view is like uh, around the Second World War. So that's like a a breaking point for everything somehow in my mind. Uh, because, for example, after the the uh, Second World War, Germany needed also a lot of uh, workers, so they took a lot of people from Turkey and from Italy to work there. But I'm because in Canada there was no World War Two was not like a big big impact, I would guess. Uh, there you don't have this before or after <laughs> World War Two, so I guess uh, my question would be: uh, Was it always like this, or did it? Uh, what what made it that it's now more uh, that you, Canada needs people now, or or is it has it been like that always? Um. That's a question for a Canadian, not like uh, an American jerk who lives there. <laughs> <Okay>. uh, but, <laughs> but um, I, I think it. I think it's always sort of been this way. I think um, I get the feeling that Canada has been slowly expanding. Um, they like they have as much mm -hmm. land as like the U.S. does, but the population of like New York. The, the state of New York, oh, like in the entire land. Yeah, yeah. And so yeah. I think just as they expand and um, since there's so much land to sort of unfortunately sprawl into, especially out here in the West, like we need more people to do that. So, and I, mm. as an American, <laughs> let me preface this as an American, <laughs> I often joke that a lot of people 
go to the U.S. once they find success in Canada, <laughs> right? So there's more more money to be made there. It's not a, a social country. It's a capitalist country. So I'm Alex Trebek, yeah, and I'm yeah. doing great as a game show host. I'm going to move to Los Angeles and work on yeah, Jeopardy. Yeah. You know, like... I, see, I, see, yeah. I do feel like a lot of talent can sometimes like disappear and, and that's my perspective from mm. watching too many tv shows and yeah, movies yeah. probably but. <laughs> but paul where are you from then um uh, oh yeah paul yeah hi <laughs> uh i don't <laughs> i have back. no idea what's going on with the streaming server so i guess we're not going to be live today okay it, uh, oh something on something on the back end is is failed and i'm not sure why but anyway okay hi hmm. um <laughs> it's okay we'll keep we'll keep recording and if i get it up and running i'll i'll uh i'll rebroadcast yeah. the recording that i have on my end just as a just as a one big chunk because i can okay i can schedule it once i get the actual thing up and running again What's interesting is the scheduler is running fine, but the actual streaming, the underlying like IceCast streaming server has ah. has failed, and its configuration seems to be missing on the server, which is interesting. Ooh, which is not something that I yeah. can just whip up <laughs> off the top yeah, of yeah, my head. Yeah, I understand head. that. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so anyway, no backup. <laughs> returning, returning to the question at hand: Where am I from? Mm-hmm. Um, I am from uh, Michigan. Uh, which, you know, larger, the United States, uh, and then Michigan, okay, which yeah. is the one that's shaped like a hand and has all the lakes around it. Um, <laughs> okay. and, uh, uh-huh. and I'm on the, uh, I'm on the Western side of, of Michigan. And actually I don't live particularly far away from where I was born or from where I grew up. I, in fact, I'm probably uh-huh. about 10 to 15 miles away from, from both of those. So, ah, interesting. Which is not to say I'm nice. against traveling or necessarily moving, uh, moving around. Especially every single winter that we have here, I think about moving. Um, <laughs> on some level, you should come and, to Canada. He said, not meaning it. <laughs> <laughs> or to Sweden. We have uh, winter all all year long. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah. Um, yeah, I think I'm destined to be become one of here we call them snowbirds, which are the people that uh, at, yeah. when they get to retirement age, they pick up a like a second, maybe a small trailer or something like that in a warm state like Florida or Arizona. And uh, and ah, okay. come about the end of October, they head there, live there mm-hmm. until the snow starts to melt again. And then they come back, uh-huh. say, you know, March or April. But my my grandparents did this also but <laughs> they only moved between uh, the summer house and the winter house okay and it was only like five kilometers apart or something <laughs> <laughs> that one has heat <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah exactly that's true the the summer house was really small and, and and tiny but they liked it sure and the winter house had like a really central heating and everything yeah mm. yep Yep. Yeah, but and I how, can see how, that happening with my parents as well. Like my my okay, uh, yeah. my dad and stepmom are are uh, fixing up a cabin right now that's on a lake, and that's going to be the summer house. And then the winter house is going to be 
uh, you know, on an island somewhere in the somewhere off of the end of Florida <laughs> where it's yeah. going to be nice and warm <laughs> for them. So, yeah, nice. But th- how did you guys met then? Did because, yeah, you didn't live close by or? Um, so we met, um, <laughs> we, we both attended the same university, um, and, ah. and we were also, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, Chris, but I think we were both, uh, like seven or eight year seniors, um, <laughs> even, even probably by the time we were, we met, we were probably pretty late in our, in our respective careers and, and, uh, car- careers as students, um <laughs> okay and uh so senior means that you've been at the university already for seven years yes yeah yeah senior okay. senior means usually the usually you've got four uh you've got freshman which is your first year you've got the sophomore which is your second year you've got a junior which is a third year and a senior would be a fourth year uh so when we I say see. you know seventh year senior usually that means you've been floating around the university uh, outstaying your welcome, probably. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, interesting. <laughs> uh, and uh, I mean, both of us, both of us did our stints as uh, as uh, teachers' assistants in various classes and and things like that as well. But I was in the film and video. Pro- we were both in the film and video program. Um, Chris, oh, I think you were okay. animation. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. And I was, uh, and I was film. And uh, uh, and Chris actually worked in the equipment room, uh, where all of the film video people would go and uh, and take out the university's equipment to do their projects with. Uh, and I was just one of the one of the many students that uh, had to uh, befriend Chris in order to get the good uh, Aeroflex. That's right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's right. The people I liked. Oh, they're coming in later. Um, I'm going to give you this camera that I know has a light leak. Have fun. Right. Um, <laughs> saving the good camera for my friend. Yep. Uh, yep. Nice. And nice. so I was. Okay, uh, cool. I was the one that got the good, the good equipment, fortunately. Nice. Uh, and then later on, I graduated. Um, but I think you were my TA for one of my classes that I came back and taught. Yes. Wasn't yep. that right? Yeah. It's like some assistant or what is yeah. that? Uh, yeah. yeah. A teacher's assistant. Um, uh, okay. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I guess it's kind of weird <laughs> to say a, a teacher's assistant cause we don't necessarily call them teachers at the university yeah. level, but, but yeah, uh-huh. that's, yeah, a, yeah. that's essentially professor what they are. Or, yeah. Professor. Yeah. Yeah. He, I, I he was he was teaching and then I was his assistant and like for me who is still like a student not yet graduated I got like a single credit hour for being an assistant so yeah so that yeah. helped ah, so me. no money but instead credits yeah or, or, or credit is like uh, the some kind of points which you need to, to graduate, graduate or yeah. correct yep. yep exactly okay okay so yeah, that's what that's exactly what it is. It's gamification for education. <laughs> <laughs> They're points, <laughs> and if you just give them, as it turns out, Chris and I didn't know this. It could have solved so many problems. But if you just give them a bunch of money, they'll just give you the credits. Oh yeah, yeah. It works exactly the what? same. No, that's wait. That sorry. There's a there's a scandal What's happening joke here in the not? United States. Yeah. <laughs> No, it's a scandal in the U.S. right now. Like celebrities oh. are paying universities to accept their children. So, 
Yeah. Oh, okay. I see. Instead of, yeah. yeah. As, as opposed to what we all grew up with, which is the, you know, fair egalitarian. If you, <laughs> you know, if you qualify, you can get in. Uh, meritocracy oh, yeah, yeah. that we that we were led to believe instead it turns out that if your mom was on full house uh uh and uh and can mm-hmm. pay a big pile of money then you can just go to whatever university you want um mm. even if parties. you don't even really care or want to be there yeah that's uh sounds to me like capitalism 101 <laughs> yeah right <laughs> <laughs> right exactly we all thought that somehow we had preserved academia from this but as it yeah. turns out we haven't and uh that's why college is so expensive now and exactly yeah people who don't necessarily deserve to be there get to go there hmm. yeah that's yeah sad but uh, yeah that's uh, how it is here in sweden it seems not to be like that and i don't think in germany either mm-hmm. uh, here it, it seems to, i mean the whole i i didn't pay anything to to study here to the university zero yeah uh and i got even if i if i wanted i could have gotten money to to survive but it was so little that it's basically impossible so you need to to take out uh, a loan also mm-hmm. which is which you can pay back like if, during your whole life if you want and just pay like ten dollars a month or something mm. but i kind of didn't want to do that either because i i already had a job uh, I, I, and uh, which was paid quite a lot per hour so yeah. i didn't need to to work a lot of hours uh, so so I kind of survived on the job instead. And now I don't have a loan, which is really nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Everybody awesome. else has like 30,000 euro uh, or dollars or something like that, uh, which they need to pay back and I don't. Yeah, like me. Yeah, which is nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep, like, like both of us. Yeah. But hey, okay. we got this podcast out of it, so... You know, we would, ah. <laughs> we wouldn't have met if we hadn't gone to university. Probably. That's right. I'm That's right. I'm going to so. start calling this like the uh, $40,000 friendship. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> and now how, let's play the pyramid. Uni- um, <laughs> <laughs> but how was university for you guys? Did, do you feel that you learned stuff there? Because depending on who I talk to, especially age-wise so people who are older like in the 30s and start the university sure. have a totally different perspective oh, on, sure. on it yeah. than people who, who are in the 20s how, uh, how was it for you do you want to go first chris or do you want me to jump in here <laughs> that's funny you should ask that because i uh i was thinking i was looking at questions and i was like oh i think i should go first because paul will be more positive but in this case <laughs> I think I should uh, go second okay. because, Paul, I'm not sure that you really enjoyed university the last time we discussed this. Uh, I There were parts of it that I enjoyed. So I'll say that um, I had to take two runs at it. So I, um, Same. I was one of those kids that I got out of high school and I went right to, I went right to college like the summer mm-hmm. at, at the end of the summer. 
Uh, I went to mm-hmm. I went to university, um, and actually I I was already considered again gamification credit wise. Uh, I was already considered a sophomore, or at least by the time I finished my first semester, I was already a sophomore because I had taken some like what we call advanced placement courses in high school, mm-hmm. uh, and that gives mm-hmm. you credits. Um, so I already had some credits going in. And I, um, I was going for computer science, unsu- mm-hmm. probably unsurprisingly. Um, <laughs> and I was getting into just the first few rounds of computer science courses. And part of it, I think, was that I wasn't particularly challenged by the initial set of computer science courses. Uh, but also, uh, I really felt like they were training you to work at uh, Microsoft or Sun Microsystems or, uh, I mean, the the language that they were teaching mm-hmm. was Java, which, you know, probably is mm-hmm. a really great academic language, uh, but it's not a particularly inspiring mm-hmm. or interesting programming language. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, and it was academic, you know, it was computer science. So they were teaching you yeah. uh, design patterns. They weren't necessarily teaching you practical programming but at the same time again it was the early courses so they're just you know at this mm. point you're learning yeah, yeah. you know classes and for loops object and under, object oriented programming object oriented programming. programming yeah yes. yeah and i had done enough um you know hobbyist programming that i you know i was kind of cruising through those things and then i just couldn't really get into going to a number of my gen eds so I did mm. I did very well in the computer science stuff and the math and I didn't do very well in the gen ed more because I just wasn't like I just wasn't being inspired particularly by my college experience uh and I didn't what, feel what, like uh, what, what is gen ed or what Oh gen, general gen. education so um here I don't know at the, I don't know what universities are university? like abroad but <laughs> Here we have uh, the Liberal Arts uh, University, uh, which is one in which you might have your specific vocation, like computer science and several courses that are in computer science. But then on top of that, you'll also have more general science classes and English and like language and arts classes that you should that you also take to make um, you more well-rounded to make you. A, yes, to make you a more well-rounded individual and. Um, and don't get me wrong. I, I believe in the liberal arts education. I think it's important to understand, uh, the arts as well as various sciences, um, in order to help Mm -hmm. you appreciate culture. Um, but more because I wasn't, I didn't really want to become a programmer that lived in a cubicle, Mm -hmm. uh, that worked at Microsoft. And so I just wasn't. and, And so anyway, I took a break. I went and worked at like a pizza place basically <laughs> and delivered pizzas for a while. <laughs> okay. Uh and yep. uh and had various various jobs and uh and realized that uh when I was in high school I had had a lot of fun like shooting videos with my friends. So I was so I was thinking, oh maybe I should try to get a job in that area and I started working in what what we call public access television here which basically is your community uh, your various community like town uh, can have its own TV station on cable here in the United States if it if it chooses mm-hmm. to. Um, and so I uh, I already knew the guy that worked at at ours that ran our station and he had an opening for a part timer. So I jumped in there and I started working in that doing 
live production and things like that. And I was like, okay, this is something that I feel like I could really get into. So then I went back to college for film and video and I had a much better experience that second time around um, because I was more inspired by what I was doing. So when I graduated, I actually graduated with a film and video degree. Um, and mm-hmm. what I will say is that um, I had a really great experience in a number of my film and video classes. I had a great experience in a number of my writing classes. Um uh, I kind of slogged my way through the gen eds and got decent grades on everything that I kind of wasn't like not that interested in, but you know, I tried to find interest in it so that I didn't uh, feel like I was going to fail out of college mm. a second time. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Cool. And, and then I, you so, know, and college is university or what? yeah. College and university know. is basically, I mean, they're not exactly the same thing, but they are more, more or less okay. interchangeable here. Okay. So, Okay. Okay. Yep. Yep. Um, it, I did. I did have like. I think my last, my last year, I did the summer film program. I I actually did the summer film program two two summers in a row. The first summer, I worked in what's called post production, which is where you're doing the editing of the film. You're just like it's already been shot by the previous set of people. They shot the film and worked with the actors and did all that. And then I was in the post-production where we were editing it together and um, and adding effects and doing color balancing and, and audio mixing. And uh, I really, really enjoyed that class. Um, but then the following year, I took summer uh, film production again, and I did the production side instead of the post. And I absolutely hated that experience. <laughs> it was probably the worst class that I took uh, in in all of college not not just in the film video program but in all of college that was the least like it was just the worst Wow okay. <laughs> so uh, so then that being one of the last things I did I didn't end up really getting a job in film and video because I was like <laughs> oh this is what production's gonna be like I don't in, I definitely don't enjoy that. Mm-hmm. Um, oh man. And so the job I ended up getting was, so I worked as a freelancer and I did both web programming and little video projects for people. And I ended up getting a job at the place, um, that I'm still working at now, uh, where they hired <laughs> me as part-time web developer, part-time, uh, part-time film, like video guy. In my case. Um, yeah. and then they had so much web work that I pretty much became a programmer that lived in a cubicle and, <laughs> and, uh, and then I, I told them to hire Chris, uh, to do the video stuff. And Chris worked with me for, for a number of, uh, years doing all the video ah, stuff. Cool. But wait, did you prior to his did moving you to Canada live close by? Oh, okay. Okay. Now I get it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Prior to his moving to Canada, he worked with me for quite a while. Cool, cool, interesting. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, cool. So that's yes. my I, that's almost my life story, Chris. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll pass it back off to you. How was college for you, Chris? How was university? Oh, yeah, mine mine was a similar experience to you because I went right out of high school, and um, for me, I was just kind of like um, one to like the Midwest sort of. Okay, this is like a very snobbish statement to say, but the the Midwest sort of uh, 
thing that you're sort of grown up with, at least in the small town where I was, is like go to high school, go to college, get married, have kids, buy a house, get a picket fence, and a dog. Like, this is how life works. And I just didn't know how to go about that. So I just, okay, I'm done with high school. I guess I go to college now. Like, I was so distraught with, like, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? Um, that I didn't even register in time to get into the fall semester. And so I took a job in retail and, um, then I went to school and, uh, to college and, um, I got into theater cause that's what I was really into in high school. And I really enjoyed that. In fact, I think I was in the theater program in college before I was enrolled in classes <laughs> Because community mm-hmm. members could audition and get in plays, so I was, and um, and eventually, um, it was just I was kind of not participating in my classes. Like I would rather hang out in the common areas and play cards with friends, like, and work. So eventually, I just sort of dropped out of school and worked full time, and I spent about ten years bouncing around between like three or four different uh, retail stores, becoming like from the bottom to the manager, bottom to the manager again, and just basically mm-hmm. kind of burned myself out. I felt like, mm. and and then I looked at school options, and the local place where I had gone before had like a two-year degree in graphic design, and I was feeling pressure, like, okay, I've been out of school for 10 years, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm almost in my thirties. Like I don't have time to do like a full university stretch. So I'll just do your, this two year graphic design degree. Cause I like doing that. Sure. Let's do that. And, um, in order to finish in two years, like I had to take classes during the day and at night. And so it was really hard to work. I didn't get a lot of hours. And the great thing about like, financial aid quote unquote from the u.s government and which is not necessarily financial aid but loans (laughs) loans i have to pay back um they they didn't give them to you if you made money so spending two years in school not making a lot of money when i filled out the financial aid paperwork again i was like i could have this much money if i kept going for my four-year degree because i'm really interested in video but i just took graphic design as like catch all to get me through school quickly. So I was like, forget it. So I moved to a university and, um, kept getting financial aid and not working so that I could, uh, finish up. And yeah, I spent maybe three years doing that instead of two, but, (laughs) um, yeah, that was my, and for me, I think your original question was like, what, you know, did I enjoy it? Did I get anything out of it? And I think just like Paul, kind of hinted to oh oh he got disconnected it looks like hey we got disconnected yeah my sister called on, uh, on signal oh <laughs> which then stops for some reason the skype call <laughs> gotcha. sorry for that no yeah. what did what did you hear last <laughs> where was i <laughs> <laughs> uh uh now i got uh, i lost the track also uh no worries hmm. so you yeah sorry <laughs> no i was i was just saying like to answer your original question for me in university mm-hmm. i uh 
I think like Paul, I didn't really, I'm not putting words in Paul's mouth, but I didn't really personally know what I wanted from university. And so my first mm. round of it was pointless in a way. And yeah. when I went back the second time, I just had this overwhelming feeling like this is what every one of my relatives was trying to explain to me when I was in high school and junior high. Like, are you mm. getting good grades? Are you applying yourself? And I couldn't listen to them because they were stupid old people. But <laughs> now, now I was a stupid old person who had worked 10 years in a job that burned me out. And I was like, what am I going to do? I'm ready. Let's do this. Mm. And so... It's interesting mm -hmm. because the first round of university was like, uh, I don't care. I don't know what I want to do. The second one was like, I know what I want to do. And you're making me take a communications 101 class, which is not what I want to do, but I have to have it to graduate. I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Interesting. <laughs> I, I, I feel like, I felt like um, there's two thoughts there. Like one, like I really wish that there was more apprenticeship programs in the world because how many people like go to the job on their first day out of university and know exactly what they're doing? No, you kind of learn on the job. And so I think apprenticeship programs like should be, there should be more of them. And secondly, for me, I also felt like, oh man, if I had known what I wanted to do out of high school, I would have been so much better off coming to a university and living in a dorm and and absorbing myself in the culture because I also, because I went to school later, I didn't live in a dorm or on campus, so I missed out on a lot of events, mm. a lot of filmmaking that people were doing that I could have jumped in on, but I was 40 minutes away living somewhere else. Like, yeah. So I yeah, think yeah. there's some value to the school. I just, I think, I'm just wondering sometimes if schools have lost sight of like what they're doing. I don't know. <laughs> yeah somehow I've, yeah i i started studying when i was 30 and i was for me it was really really different because i've already worked for two or three years as a programmer so i felt that now i know how to do stuff but I don't know why I'm doing this stuff <laughs> and I want to know why. <laughs> and that's why I went to university. And then I, I mean, uh, every course was just like, uh, before it was a black box and now I could look into it and now I know how it works. Nice, very cool. That's what exactly what I wanted. And that's what I got. And we didn't have, uh, we, only the first year was like predefined, like half of it was math and half of it was something with uh, computer science, like uh, groundwork basically. And then the last two years, uh, it was fully up to me to choose whatever courses I wanted. I just needed 50% of courses in computer science or more than 50% and then the rest was uh, whatever. Oh, that's cool. That I felt that was really cool because then I felt that that's kind of what university is supposed to be in comparison to a school where you go to school and a teacher teaches you something and you learn by being teached yeah. <laughs> something. And university is the totally opposite. There are like people who who do research and then they are forced also to 
to to help the students basically with lectures and so on but it's it's uh, it's the opposite so you, you you don't get information pushed to you you pull the information from the university and you pull whatever you deem to be important interesting and so on so that was my experience which uh, which i really liked basically that's uh well there you go if you if you really like get the get the itch to do more remote shows like this uh i'll hook you up with my spouse because she's doing a lot of stuff in education where they're they're trying to Ah. it's hard because uh, i don't know about uh in in europe but here in north america there's lots of you know it worked for me why wouldn't it work for my kids to you know memorize times tables and stuff and (laughs) <laughs> and and, and modern yeah. modern education philosophy is so far from that it's like so my my spouse is a real big proponent and and trying to push curriculum change because it's like we just need to teach young people how to find information they can trust because now they just have all the answers at their fingertips it's not about getting them to do rote memorization it's exactly like you're saying like pulling information the correct information instead of like getting it told to them so yeah yeah i guess when back in the days of galileo galilei one person could be like really like a champion in all the sciences you could be know basically everything in math you could invent new math stuff you could be know everything in astronomics you could know everything in mathematics uh, in medicine and so on but nowadays we have so much uh, information that it's you need to specialize and you need to do it the other way around <laughs> yeah that's how i feel at least so i wanted to um I uh I don't I don't know if like uh I've s- mentioned it like to you like really but um I I feel like I've touched on it a number of times that I really love like the website that you built uh, gina.net and um oh and, yeah yeah and your uh, indie web inspired site it like holds your photography your status updates your podcast your blog post and and um, I just, uh, I really was like, wow, like, this is a really cool thing. It's amazing. And I know you kind of built it, like, after, did you go to, like, an indie web meeting? Is that uh, kind of what inspired you? <laughs> uh, no, I think what what happened was that I posted on Twitter that those guys from Tent, they, uh, I hate how they do it. Mm. I'm leaving. And then Tantek, uh, who is like one of the founders of the indie web, he wrote to me on Twitter. So we are doing the same thing, but right. (laughs) 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 And (laughs) you should check our community out. And so I did. (laughs) And then I saw that what, what I really liked in comparison and what i also still like in comparison to mastodon for example is that you basically and it's it's not for everyone but for me it's it's something really positive that you basically you do your own thing you 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 make your own website for yourself uh, and then you just 
put small pieces into it of functionality which make them so you can communicate with other websites kind of like you would on a on a on a what do you call those uh, like facebook or twitter social media things but everybody is building their own thing we just uh, try to to come up with uh, uh, protocols basically how to talk so so our websites could, could share talk to each other yeah but but not something complicated where we need a complete software for it it should be like really easy just html you don't need uh, special magic or anything the, uh, and this kind of uh, was the point where i thought Okay, even if this community turns out to shit, I still uh, everything which I invest in my own website, I will still get to keep because even if the whole communication with other website turns out to to not work because of some reasons, I still have my website where where I collect my stuff uh, since 2010 and even longer i have uh, i have my old german website where which i started 2004 with a blog and stuff so so that was the thing which convinced me that i can do my own thing and if i want to then i can still connect to other people i turns out this connecting thing is really difficult <laughs> yeah <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> I. But at least I have my website. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I. It's interesting. I, I again, like, I'm really taken by your description of it because, um, for me, just like perusing the page and like getting caught up in like the oh, like I want to do this and uh, I might lack the skills and and some of this stuff, but like the just looking at the page and learning about IndieWeb, it it felt like so much of like the community or the philosophy was built on sort of like building your own thing and then posting or syndicating to other centralized silos. Mm -hmm. And like you said, that has become more complicated as Facebook and Twitter and all these companies have said, we want you to come to our site and see our ads. So we're not allowing outside apps to post to us anymore. I'm like, exactly, yeah. what does that mean for the indie web? But sort of your explanation of like sort of the, I like the idea of like the easiest, simplest ways to like sort of share information between websites. Um, and that's, that's like, um, you know, I remember my first sort of diving into indie web, like where I wanted to like um, syndicate like something somewhere else. And I was using, I was using software that, uh, you know, Aaron or someone had designed to like sort of syndicate your photos to Instagram. And I had to prove that I was who I was saying I was. And all it was was like a meta tag in HTML or something. And I was like, really? This mm. is it? Like, I'm not yeah. doing this wrong. Like, I must, there must be some other code or something, <laughs> you know? <laughs> it's, it's the same with like, yeah, because you, yeah, because you own the domain. Yes. And obviously, if you can change something uh, on it, then you can prove that it's you, basically. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, that's true. And it doesn't have to be any more complex than that, which I think is like a really great part of IndieWeb. Like, you can, there you go, done. Like, yeah. Yeah. 
It's the same with so, like the yeah, H exactly. card. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that there are those steps in uh, how indie webified your website is, and the starting stuff is really easy. So everybody, uh, as soon as you find fi somehow figure out how to get a domain and uh, a hoster where you can upload uh, HTML via FTP or whatever, you you already have have half uh, halfway there basically. Because the important thing is still the content, the the other stuff, the connections and so on. That's that's for later. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But but uh, yeah, but you 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 can start really quickly, and it it kind of has this f uh, fun and flair from from the beginning of the two thousands where people really coded HTML by hand and so on. Here, most of the people don't do HTML coding. By uh, yes, they do, but it's mostly like programming and some templates and so on. By but still, you have this home homemade uh, flair around the community, which has uh, like good sides when 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 you can do stuff like this, which makes it a but uh, yeah, it makes it really difficult to 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 go the next step for the community to 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 invite people who are not developers so that and sometimes i feel that this will be a breaking thing for the community where it the it, the community cannot fi figure out how to do it because nobody wants to write this big software which just a lot of people then will use there are some people hel uh, working on plugins for wordpress and so on but it's it's much more fun to do it uh, for for your for yourself and so on and then it doesn't quite fit with anyone else like software wise so the protocols are working and so on but yeah. if someone isn't a coder it's uh, it's difficult <laughs> Yeah, I know that um, Jackie in the in the community is uh, working on Coip, which is something he wants to build for people, and um, and he says uh, he says you know he's building this for to make it easy for people who aren't um, developers, and and I'm starting to feel that way. Like it, this is my own personal journey, and it's like I'm. I I do want to know more, but then like, how much more do I want to know? And am I using my lack of knowledge to sort of beat myself up? Like, but at the same time, <laughs> at the same time, I'm like, I've, I'm on my like third or fourth, like personal blog and I'm always using somebody else's software. And so I'm, I'm hesitant to jump into like, Jackie's application because, you know, it's also, there's so many projects that start out with a lot of steam and then fizzle and I'm not making a judgment against Jackie. I'm just saying like, it's better. Like you just said to know what you're doing yourself because okay. Like syndication is broken to a couple of places, but you still have Gina.net and it's working great. Right. Yeah. Like, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. so I'm starting to feel that way now where I'm like, okay, I kind of want to teach myself, like it, I'm still dependent on someone else a little bit, but I'm trying to learn Hugo a little bit to sort of move my blog to that and not be dependent on known, mm -hmm. which I'm using now. So, Yeah, yeah. 
but uh, yeah. yeah. Fun, story, fun, fun anecdote: When uh, back in two thousand and four, I tried to install movable movable type, which uh, was this big blog. Uh, mm-hmm. I remember engine basically, but it was written in Perl, and you needed to run in it in CGI bin or something. <laughs> I, and if for the love of God, I I wasn't able to install it. I just didn't get it. And it just just didn't work. For I spent days on it, and it just didn't even show up or anything. So then I decided, uh, how hard can it be to connect to a database and just have some PHP code to just pull this out of the database and have like a a formula, a, f- a form to to put in the data so i read up on it and that's how i started basically programming <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah um man so many questions uh we were we were <laughs> yeah before we connected we were talking about uh, podcasting i w- i was really curious about um your show because you've had like so many different uh kinds of guests like people who like to fly helicopters and people who are dealing with learning disabilities and and uh things like that i was just curious Mm -hmm. just curious like if you've had people on your show that sort of like changed you or how you behave after having these conversations actually especially yes yes uh especially the uh, so, so I, when I started the the podcast, I had uh, one person in mind who I really wanted to interview, and it turned out to be the uh, the woman who I interviewed uh, as the last last podcast mm-hmm. before this one, which we are recording right now, because it was kind of the like it was it. It's, we were talking about her life in. Uh, in the Jehovah's Witnesses uh, sect, basically. And it was such a powerful story that I kind of uh, didn't know where to go from there. <laughs> so uh-huh. I'm really happy that uh, that that you came and asked me if we want to do something together uh, because that might kickstart my podcast again <laughs> where where I don't have this uh, this angst. Uh, so how can I top this? It's impossible. Yeah. I just need to restart basically. But basically her her story made me realize how many people uh, are born into into uh, not ideal uh, circumstances and then they need to struggle a lot to 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 lift themselves up and uh, just go away from those uh, uh, like f- from her family basically uh, just to just to survive uh, I think I I have friends who kind of uh, yeah, it's perhaps it's different. I mean, uh, yeah. <sighs> How can I explain it? A lot of uh, I have friends and family who are, who have problems with mental health and so on, and those people are also trapped in this 
in this uh, like shitty reality where where they where it's really difficult for them to to get away from it and through her story i kind of saw them in a new light basically and uh, got more compassion for their uh, for for where they are in their lives and so on so that's that's one thing which uh, changed me absolutely wow yeah i can see that yeah it uh that's a that's a really that's cool like that's something um i mean i'm working on having compassion just for myself let alone other people <laughs> so <laughs> so I, I can totally understand that but i, I get it like i i, I kind of understand that because that's uh something like yeah when you hear a story like hers like yeah you can apply that to everyone i mean i think that's one of the mm. one of the things i've said on the podcast before and um it's uh we start out by saying like sometimes uh, like where we interview creators and makers, but I also like to say sometimes like everyone has a story and it's, it's always mm -hmm. fascinating to me to like sit down with someone like yourself and like say, okay, you know, let's, uh, let's talk about open source or let's talk about indie web. And then like, we get to hear this sort of story about how your family, like, were Germans in Poland and they didn't really like it there. And, you know, that's like a <laughs> whole side of you that I didn't know about. And so it's just like mm. you go in with assumptions and you get surprised. So I think everyone has a good story and yeah, I get it. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's kind of my, uh, this, my tagline for my podcast, at least for me, everybody has a story and, uh, an interesting story also. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, but uh, yeah, I I kind of uh, w uh, f like ran out of my like friends who are who are relatively close to me, uh, like even like uh, mm -hmm. just location wise. <laughs> sure. So, uh, so I I was thinking about this uh, remote thing, but for some reason I never I never got to it. Mostly because I guess I wanted to have it the quality, the audio quality, super good and stuff like this, which is easy when you go with the equipment to the person, sure, and then you yep. can choose where to where to do it and so on, which is much more difficult when you when you just call them. Uh, so how how do you guys do it? Do you just accept <laughs> bad quality? Because I didn't, I don't feel that you do have bad audio quality. So even with guests, I think, uh, Paul can probably answer a lot of the technical stuff. I will say for me, uh, even five or so years into this now, it's still, it's still difficult for me. And I, I would assume maybe Paul because of the remote guest and remote host relationship sure. with yeah. that re delay in it. So Gina just stopped talking mm -hmm am I going to ask the next question or is Paul like, um, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's awkward. <laughs> yeah. And I definitely enjoy doing like a one-on-one -on -one or having the guest like in the room with me. So I, I totally mm -hmm. understand like your <laughs> hesitance to, uh, remote guests <laughs> for sure. I, uh, yeah. 
I've even thought about just creating a little like raise hand system for me and uh, for me and Chris to use where we could Uh, be like, while you're talking, if one of us thinks of something, we could hit the button and be like, oh, yeah, okay, you're going to be the next. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that sounds a good solution, actually. Yeah. Yeah, because normally you would see on the per, uh, on the person's like eyes and the the, the the face that they want to say now something now. So yeah. you would wait if it, you don't have anything important. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, sure. sure. Yeah, but I, I know a lot of <laughs> I know a lot of remote podcasts do turn the video on so they can have that too. And I always little, like, yeah, I literally think, raise yeah. their hand. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, <laughs> Yeah, I, that that might work really well, also. Yeah, yeah. I think we've ignored it just to ensure that we have better audio. That our computers are spending the time working on the audio than the video. But um, yeah. again, that's probably something Paul can say instead of me. But I always think now, like, oh man, like if we did decide to do that, so that we could play off of each other's cue, I gotta stop picking my nose, and I gotta pay attention, <laughs> and I gotta stop making notes, and I gotta. <laughs> put yeah. pants on yeah um <laughs> but the interesting thing is <laughs> so i've watched i've watched a number of uh a number of video podcasts where they're really making audio podcasts but they just happen to also broadcast the video of them doing it at the same time um and i'll notice you know they'll have a four a four up screen where they have everybody's remote and so each quadrant of the of the screen is showing you one of their webcams and you'll often see them, you know, look away and type on something and and then come back to the conversation. And it's not that they're not, you know, listening or engaged. They're just also mm. doing those other things like looking up their next question or 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 doing some typing. Yeah. Um, and I and I I don't know that that makes for compelling video necessarily, but there are a lot <laughs> no, of people yeah. who for whom podcasts don't really exist, but YouTube does. And I think That's there's, true, yeah. yeah, I think there's a lot of people that will go and see, you know, they will in in essence watch a podcast or they'll, they'll load it up on their browser and let it play while they're doing other stuff and be listening to it from that, from Absolutely, that angle. Yeah. But from that, a, like this guy, Leo Laporte, uh, he, do you know him? Yep. Uh, yep. Leo he does is, exactly that. Yeah. 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 He's, uh, he's actually one of the first podcasters that I, that I listened to that I became aware of because mm-hmm. I was watching, I was an, a big fan of uh, tech TV back when tech TV was mm-hmm. a thing, at least in the United States. And, um, and he had his show. Uh, he had a few shows on there call for help being one of them. And uh, uh, the screensavers being another one, uh, which I always thought was mm. a clever name. And, uh, and when tech TV shut down, he and a number of his co-hosts started uh, um, a podcast um i see that for a little while they called the return of the screensavers and then they turned it into uh this week in tech um and Mm -hmm. that's kind of how he launched his his thing which i've always really admired and i and i like him as a as a you know personality in technology media um and and as a you know professional podcaster um yeah yeah so i i mean from a technical side my setup on this end probably looks a lot like what his setup would have looked like in the early days of tech TV where or of tech TV of, uh, of twit, the twit <laughs> studios, mm-hmm. uh, where, um, I do, you know, unique 
um, Skype calls to each person that's online. I think we've had as many as three, if I include Chris. I don't think we've gotten to the point where we've done four, um, mm-hmm. uh, four remotes, but we can if we need to. Um, mm-hmm. I actually could do up to six or seven, although that might get real crazy uh, <laughs> in terms of managing the conversation. <laughs> Um, yeah, but what? Well, just a second. So, yeah. how do you do this uh, uh, on different computers, or, or yep. what do you do? Yep. So I have, uh, I am saying, I have just a multitude of screens around me right now. I have my main recording computer, which sometimes I also run a Skype connection on, just depending on how many guests we have. But it's kind of my last, my computer of last resort because I don't want it to be too doing too many things at once. <laughs> Yeah. Even though that's ridiculous, it's like a core i7, like <laughs> there's no way that it would ever get bogged down, but still. Most probably can handle it, yeah. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, it can definitely handle it, but I'm, I, I am still, um, uh, I'm still of the era where, you know, the recording computer that we used in our audio classes was, what, like a G4, Chris, something along those lines with probably 512 mm-hmm. megs of RAM or something like that. So I just am overly cautious. Like, it, it, that's it's ridiculous. So, and every time we've, I've had to use it to run a Skype channel, that there's no problem. But anyway, uh, mm. and then I've got Chris on a dedicated uh, uh, Mac that's an, o- an older one. Uh, and I've mm-hmm. got you on a dedicated Mac. And they all then come into this... Um, uh, this uh, box that is from a company called Focusrite. Uh, it's called mm-hmm. the Sapphire Pro 40. So in this case, it's got uh, multiple inputs as well as, and this is what I like, multiple outputs. So I can mm-hmm. take everybody's, basically I can take everybody's feed in, mix it for the live stream, but also I can send every individual their own custom mix. So I don't send you your own voice back. I don't send Chris mm-hmm. his own voice back. I send you the mix of me and Chris without you. I send Chris the mix of you uh, and me without him. Yeah. And that way you don't get so any echo. So we don't echo. have delay. Uh, yep. There's no, de- there's, there's no echo delay, which can really throw people off um, oh, when they hear their own voice I, coming back to them, I, you know, 150 yeah. milliseconds I, later. <laughs> Exactly. I just realized that this uh, this remote recording. Uh, I don't don't I don't know if I want to invest all this. Uh, I that's the first time I hear about it. That that might be a problem. Yeah, but I mean that's, that seems to be a lot of work. <laughs> it's it's a lot of work um, because we always have three people. Um, hmm. If it was just you and one guest. Like if it was just you talking to one other person, it can be a lot simpler because all you need is at mm-hmm. that point, you need Skype and you or something like Skype and mm. uh, and a way to record it. Um, so for how do you get the sound from the Skype to the recorder or does it go uh, or is it the normal output from your Mac or what is it? So in my case, it's a normal output out of my Mac um into this mixer so the mixer is actually a hardware mixer and so you're going through you know you're going through some some audio equipment into a thing and and admittedly you know audio kind of became my hobby out of the film and video program i i took the film Mm -hmm. and video program and then i said neither 
Um, and, (laughs) (laughs) and now I have a ton of audio equipment in my house. Um, Mm, but I, I just, I kind of have always loved making little radio shows. So, um, but you know, if you're going to do it on your own and it's just going to be one other person on the other end of the line, you could do that all in one setup very easily. Mm -hmm. Um, and And I would record myself normally, and then I would record the output of Skype just uh, normally also in on a different, on the second, uh, input on my recording device exactly yep you could do you could do that or in the case of skype um i mean it's a it's you know i'm trying to think of on linux and i'm sure there's probably even better ways to do this on linux actually Mm. but uh with with skype um for both windows and mac there's a second program that you can get called uh call recorder and it's mm-hmm. actually designed to kind of intercept the Skype stream and then just save it directly to disk. Um, and see. so it'll actually save both channels. So it'll it'll make a copy of yours and it'll make a copy of the remote as two separate channels. And then you can just pull that into oh. whatever audio yeah. you want. Um, yeah, yeah. And I was going to... Yeah. I was just going to interject, like, uh, because I know your skill set. Well, <laughs> I imagine I know your skill set, Gina. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of or used Mumble, but uh, we experimented with that for a while. And that's just an open source server that you can run and gamers mm-hmm. use to play games and chat with each other. And Mumble yeah, will, yeah. will actually record the stream for you. So I could, I did like an interview for Film Frown with someone in Greece and someone like in the UK somewhere. And I just used Mumble and I recorded both of them through Mumble and I had three separate tracks thanks to Mumble. Yeah. And I didn't yep. have to use anything on my end. Um, the downside. How is, how is this audio quality for that, from that? Because it uses some special audio codecs which are designed to be fast, I would guess, but that uh, limits the quality, I would guess. Um, I, I felt, and Paul and I kind of played with it and tested it, and mm-hmm. um, I think the one thing that attracted me to Mumble was that you had control because it was open source, so you could actually control the delay. So it wasn't, it didn't feel to me as big of a delay okay. as Skype has. The downside is, is there is a bug or something in Mumble so that if you record for like two hours, like we're doing right now, um, the audio mm-hmm. starts to drift and you're like our conversation no longer lines up and it means more editing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I see, I see. Yeah. <laughs> okay, but, interesting. But I yeah, know, I, I guess that's because of the codec. Because if you, yeah, uh, if you do wave, then it's much easier for the computer just to pack the bytes at the end. Yeah. But yep. if you have this codec which makes it much smaller and everything, then it's okay. Normally you would have data here, but you just repeat it so many times or something. Yeah. And the and the downside of mumble is that like the person you're recording or you're interviewing has to download like a mumble client. And um you download Skype, you sign up and you and then it says, hey, like your microphone isn't working or it is and you're done. But mm-hmm. but when you download yep. Mumble, it was like this whole setup procedure where it was like asking you to talk so it could set a level and and it was yeah. it was a mm-hmm. really involved procedure for our guests that like you know like if I interviewed like you know my mom that's not going to work like she's not going to be cool okay, with like sitting there through that and but I know that you 
you pay for a service to like finalize your audio, right? What is it that you use? Oh, Jesus, what is it called? Now I haven't been using it for sure. almost a year. <laughs> it's uh, our, uh, for fuck's sake, I can send you the link here later so we can put no, it in no the problem, but or something. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was just gonna but say it's, it's, there is a couple of other like, um, podcast networks and services these days who mm -hmm. have like launched their own like recording things like there's mm -hmm. a few websites now where you could if you felt mm -hmm. like paying a subscription fee you could also do that but i just mentioned to host your own thing of course to you I see. <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> yep. yeah i mean i i have no problems to to get like help from uh, and pay for it uh, right but the hosting it needs to be on my site <laughs> yeah yep yep yeah yeah, I think there's a I think there are a couple. I'll have to go back and see if I've got any notes about them, but there are a couple that are websites that are like uh they use WebRTC and so it's yeah. pretty simple for you to just send your send your guest a link to a web page and then that will mm -hmm. step them through like okay, try out your microphone. Yep, we have a level. And the nice thing about that is I think the way that those work is it'll use WebRTC so everybody can hear each other. But then also it will it's doing a local recording and then it is like catching up. So even if it drops packets while you're, you know, live and uh -huh. talking to each other, it's still gonna uh -huh. capture a nice local recording at the end and it will okay. you know, it kind of will all eventually get there. Um yeah, yeah. and some of these offer editing online as well, but I think almost any of them you can you can record or at least the, the the main one that I'm thinking of, you can record the separate tracks and you can just pull the separate tracks down um, and mm -hmm. you don't have to use their service to, for like editing and, and hosting yep. and, and serving. Mm -hmm. You can just use it for recording and, and then getting the files. So what about the audio equipment, like especially microphones on your, uh, on the other side, so on your guest sites? How do you do that? Do you just they do already have something, or how does it work? Do I you mean, send usually, a microphone. <laughs> yeah, no, we don't. Um, we don't send them a microphone. We usually just live with whatever they have available. So, you know, in some in some cases, it could be you know the little microphone that's on their earbuds, um, yeah. which is probably the least ideal microphone because that's the one that. You know, they'll bump their neck with it or they'll, you know, scrape it when mm -hmm. they're moving they're moving around. And that's that's not ideal. And and usually what I try to do is while we're doing the recording, I drop markers into my audio editor that says like, oh, I heard some bump or, or I heard some keyboard noise. And I go back through and kind of clean that up afterward uh, when I can. Um, yeah. And then I also, you know, I'm, I, I've gotten pretty good now with my I use Adobe Audition for doing for doing my editing um and i've gotten mm -hmm. pretty good with the various uh um filters and and uh and audio yeah, mixing gates and stuff yeah, yeah okay, gates yeah. noise gates and things like that so that takes a lot of it out too which helps pretty significantly yeah. like i've got a good series of of presets now and i can try mm -hmm. like i've got two or three presets that i can try and see what sounds best kind of out of the gate and then i can go back through and and check those couple spots that I made a marker. And, and if those sound good, then I usually just kind of live with it because I don't want to spend for the two hours that we're recording so far. I'm, I'm probably not going to spend, you know, two to four hours 
going back through and re-editing this, I'm probably going to spend maybe half of an hour re-editing and making sure that kind of spot checking things. And then, mm-hmm. and then I'll do a, a, a final mix and, and spot check that and then post it. So interesting. Okay. I, I would, yeah, for me, this, uh, yeah. I was just going to say like one of the things like, you know, cause I'm, I'm usually like the producer part where I'm like getting the guests and stuff. And so I'm always double checking with Paul. And I think like the advice <laughs> yep. that he sort of gave me and that I sort of pass on to guests or potential guests is like, look, you don't need like a nice microphone. Um, we would prefer if you had, you know, like a headset or, or, or something with a mm-hmm. microphone. But if you don't, if you could just use headphones that way you're not we're not getting the feedback of you talking into your laptop mic or whatever and and that's like so far that's done us really well like um just as Mm -hmm. long as they've had headphones like you can obviously hear the echoes of the room and like the stuff in like a laptop mic but it works so much better when we just don't have them like blindly just like shouting at their screen (laughs) so (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah okay i see it yeah, uh, interesting. Uh, it's so for me. Uh, I, I looked it up. It's Ophonic. Uh, Ophonic dot com. Yeah, and they have like one hour per month or something for free. And if you have more, then you can pay them really low amounts of money. And what they use is they do what whatever Paul explained here with the gates and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. They do it for you by uh, a lot of AI, which oh, they sure. trained yep. with a lot of audio. And it's, it's amazing how well it works, and it's amazing how little work I have with it. So I basically just hit record at the beginning, hit stop at the end, then put the SD card to my computer, upload the those two or three files to Ophonic, and they they take uh, oh, <laughs> they take my uh, the somebody's calling the me music now, at the bi- <laughs> the I I gave them the music from uh, like in the beginning at the in the at the end of my podcast and I said yes yes like to do like a three second over uh, like what is it called yeah going from one to the other and. Then a MP3 in mono pops out without all those and and bumping of the microphone and stuff like this because they they have it trained exactly for that uh, for podcasts. Ah, yeah. Which is, uh, I mean, you 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 said you would spend half an hour. For me, it's it's even less. Because I I have a much simpler setup, obviously, <laughs> so that helps. Uh, and I use like a third party, uh, and I'm not doing it myself. So half an I tried to do it myself actually in the beginning, and it's it was difficult. It was quite the quite a lot of work, uh, especially going through it and listening to everything and uh, setting the gates so it would not cut the people off, but uh, but only this stuff, and it didn't work quite well, and so on. So I spent a lot of time in the beginning, and then I I made a A/B test. I showed them a soundbite which I did manually, 
and then I showed them a soundbite which Ophonic did, and like one hundred percent chose Ophonic. So I said, okay, <laughs> <laughs> it's not worth it to do it myself. <laughs> yeah, understood. Uh, I have, I have a, a, a question for uh, for you about the podcasting thing. So I know that you are using uh, Patreon, <laughs> and you can see that on your Patreon you have like eleven dollars per month or something, <coughs> or something which you collect. So I, yeah, I wonder why you do it. Basically, <laughs> I, it can't be the money because those eleven dollars. <laughs> I'm one of the guys who who sends you money because I think it's <laughs> it's fun and so on. But and we thank you somehow, very much for that. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. But somehow I don't really understand. So I I really appreciate that you don't have uh, advertising uh, in your in your podcast because I really hate advertising in all forms. So I don't do it either. I don't have ads on my website. I I never do anything with ads. And then. Yeah, I I do it for a hobby, and you guys do it also for a hobby. Do, why why do why are you on on Patreon? It, and it is is it worth it to like give your content kind of to Patreon and getting only eleven dollars back? So, I'll I'll say as one thing, I think um, we I don't think Patreon actually requires us to give them anything. So mm. if we wanted to, we could run our whole Patreon campaign and just like probably do blog posts and stuff there and not even post any of our shows. Um, mm -hmm. So they're, they're really just trying to be a platform to help you, um, you know, get reimbursed in some way for the stuff that you do uh, for, mm. you know, for producing content. But I don't think they really necessarily care I don't even know that they hold their uh, the people that run campaigns on it. I don't even know that there's any kind of enforcement to make sure that, oh, yeah, you have $20, $20 a month subscribers. Did you give them their rewards or benefits or whatever that is? Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I, I think it's just a platform <laughs> to help make sure that uh, that, you know, creators can can get funded without without having to run their own. Um, uh money platform <laughs> subscription yeah. platform um okay now we do post stuff there or i should say mm -hmm. chris does post stuff there <laughs> in his role <laughs> in his role as producer he very kindly uh basically manages that i know i've talked about you know putting a post up there once in a while talking about our setup and and things like that mm -hmm. and i somehow never get around to it but uh but chris does put stuff there for for the for the patreons our patrons um, mm. and, uh, I, you know, getting back to the, the, is it worth it? I mean, Chris and I have, have talked about it on the show a few times. Like we, we essentially do this for fun. It's a, it's a fun excuse to, uh, to catch up with Chris, uh, every couple of weeks or so, uh, for us to catch up with each other and, uh, and, you know, continue to have, uh, have this kind of long distance friendship. Uh, while mm. we talk to and learn about other people, 
Um, sometimes we also do like the, what we call the sauce packets where it's just me and Chris and we talk about, um, you know, Star Trek discovery or, you know, whatever thing we're watching or, or reading. Mm. Um, yeah. So, you know, we are definitely doing it more for fun than for, than to turn it into a, a living. I think I would love to turn it into a living <laughs> if I could. Uh, um, yeah. But it's really hard to turn a hobby into a living when you have a full-time job as well. Mm. Um, I'd have to produce, you know, I'd probably have to produce eight podcasts and mm. with lots of people um, in addition to Chris uh, who all have different fields of expertise. Like if I was following the the Leo Laporte mold or the Dan Benjamin mold of like, you know, put together these very topic focused shows and, and really get in front of people and promote yourself all the time and all of that. And I, I struggle to do that um, just because I have, have other stuff going on and I have a full-time job and um, absolutely. And I've said yes to too many people on other side things <laughs> as well. <laughs> so, so yeah. yeah. Okay, uh, but this—that's that's my still, perspective I, I, on it. I, I, um, I, I, I don't feel that uh, that answered my questions. No, that's really okay. yeah. Uh, so, how do I explain it? Uh, you still, I mean, for me, it would be overhead to also have to go to this website and do stuff on it. It if is. I could, because I'm, I, I, I'm doing all my shit on my website, and then if I want to, then I syndicate it somehow. I try to do it oh, automatically. Sure. Often now yep. it doesn't work anymore, and so on. But but doing all this stuff on on this website, it might. I mean, it, it still takes, even if it takes like one hour a week. Then you have four hours for eleven dollars. <laughs> what 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 do you gain from it? <laughs> uh, if if the, I would understand if it would be like some, so, is it a Even community two or that you have there dollars or, or something like that? Yeah, it would be different. Yeah, yeah. This I is, would my my secret but, is I have a friend in Canada that takes care of it for me. Uh, <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. then, Chris, explain yourself. Yeah. <laughs> explain myself. Yeah, I uh I think like I think I got swept up in the early buzz when Patreon first like showed up. Um and I think um I think you had like a question um in the questions you thought to send us like something about like do I feel like guilty or do we feel guilty when we don't like post an episode all the time, <laughs> that kind of a thing yeah. and um and I think uh, these are related. Um, I think that, um, yeah, I think that there was that sort of like, oh, yeah, wouldn't it be great if we could, you know, make some money doing this? Let's give it a try. Yeah. But sure. I don't know that we, because we're doing this for fun, it wasn't like for us, like the Patreon. It's not, it's not sort of like, you're saying not working for us because we're not working to make it work, I guess. Like, um, right. Yeah. Right. It, it feels like a platform where like, yeah, I need to be promoting us like every week. And if we're not having an episode, I need to be involving myself with a quote unquote community. And yeah. I think that that's where I'm coming yeah, yeah. from with this idea of like, we don't post like 
um, sequentially or often or whatever. Like we don't have a regular schedule because we're doing it for fun. And thus we have like people like you who are amazing and listen to us, but we don't have like a community where we can like go out and say, Hey guys, could like you help us like run the webpage and like do these things for us or, or give us some money. And, and, uh, sometimes like, it's interesting because I feel like it's, um, for me, it's a double-edged sword. Like, I would love to, like, form a community and talk to people. And, and like, when we have people in the chat room and they're in, involved, I'm like, oh, man, this is so much fun. Um, yeah. But uh, at the same time, like, I don't like getting caught up in the numbers. Like, how many downloads do we have, Paul? Like, should we get more? Like, you know, it'd <laughs> yeah. be, it's that it's that <laughs> yeah. North American kind of capitalism thing where it's like, I right. can't, yeah. I can't uh, yeah, just yeah. have a taste of it. I want it all. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I see, I see. And the, and the one well, the thing that I would say, too, you know, getting back to that, we did for a while follow the numbers more closely, and, and I can still, like, go in and look up what our what our numbers are if i want to uh on mm-hmm. individual downloads um mm-hmm. but uh the number one way to make those numbers grow is to publish every single week yes is to just you know just regularly publish something um because yeah. that will keep people engaged it'll keep people subscribed and uh as soon as you stop doing that the numbers tail back off again so um if we you know there is there is a growth path there. If you want to, if you want to build a podcast, you know, you just yeah. have to, you have to put in, you really got to put in the work and it's a lot of work. Yeah. And honestly, yeah. Chris, I think does most of it and it's still a lot mm. of work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I see. Yeah. yeah. I have. A f- so, so you, you mentioned the, the question which I had, if you feel how you feel about not posting regularly or having pauses in, in posting, because you had this big pause for this podcast, like last year, or was it two years ago? Yeah, it was last year, yep. mm-hmm. which even I, I, I mean, I listen to a lot of different podcasts and I, it's, I don't follow, I don't listen to, I'm not a completeness where I listen to all the episodes and so on. Uh, one of the few podcasts I listen to, to all of the episodes is your podcast because you don't Aww. put out so much content. So I, so I can do it at least. So I, I, I still listen to two hours per day basically on, on my, uh, one hour on my way to work and one hour to back, but I have podcasts which go five hours and stuff like this. So sure, that yeah. I don't have <laughs> a lot of. I can't just listen to all of them. It does just doesn't work. Yeah. Uh, but even I then somehow felt hmm that was a long time that Montreal Source posted anything, and mm-hmm. then I investigated and and so on. Uh, yeah, yeah, and we, yeah. I would say, um, there's a part of it that uh, I do feel bad that we don't, you know, when we're continuing to collect on Patreon, but we're not, uh, we're not continuing to put out episodes for a while. Like usually, we we put one on hiatus, not on hiatus, but we put one on pause, and then we do the mm-hmm. other podcast, which is Film Frown, where we watch yeah. bad movies and put those out, and. Mm-hmm. We tried for a while to produce both of those at the same time, and that was 
overwhelmingly complicated. Yeah. <laughs> Just because okay, Chris is always lining up guests, always figuring out what the next movie is, and then flipping over yeah. to Montreal Sauce and figuring out who the next guest is. And uh, I, you know, it is... Yeah. It, it it is a dream of mine that I could that I could have a podcast uh a podcast empire and be producing shows like that all the time yeah, yeah, but yeah. um yeah. we I just don't have the time to do it. So I do feel bad but on the other hand I also feel like those folks who are supporting us on Montreal Sauce are also supporting us on Film Frown and yeah. maybe that's not super clear to them based on how we've set up the page. Um, but, but we are <laughs> okay, trying yeah. to always be producing something. We do take little, like a month break here or there in between the shows, yeah. but, um, I, yeah, yeah. for this last like break, you know, that was like a mental health break for me. And you already know a lot about that, Gina, but like, yeah, yeah. so do our listeners. But I think one of the things that kind of hit me then was sign of something I've been working on. I guess in mental health. And and that is like, I am not responsible for Paul's feelings or your feelings. And, and yeah. And and that's something that I still have a hard time believing. Like if I call Paul a stupid white guy right now, is he going to know I'm joking or is he going to take that to heart? Right. Um, (laughs) But but overall, (laughs) like people are giving to our, the, you know, three or four people like yourself who are giving to our Patreon have the ability to stop paying us. So, um, so absolutely I've I've kind of held on to that and then I have been chewing on it. And it's one of the things I want to get into with one of our guests this season. Um, Paul's friend is, yeah. Do I want to still do Patreon because they are having their own issues right now and, um, they are no longer the darling of uh, Silicon Valley and trying to try new ways. In fact, next month, they are changing their plans yeah. completely. So, um, yeah, I'm not sure that I want to be a part of that anymore. And uh, I certainly enjoy um, the fact that people are willing to help us out like yourself. And it does go a long way to help us pay for hosting and stuff, even yeah. though it's only a few dollars. Um, and it does inspire me at times. Like, yeah, I can feel guilty. Like, oh, my gosh, we didn't do a show for a whole year. And we took these people's money. But... I've also been trying to communicate on that page and I send out emails saying like, Hey guys, um, we haven't had a show in a while and I want to send you a card or whatever. And sometimes I don't get any responses from people. And I'm like, I did, I did my due diligence. I, I communicated like, yeah. So I, so when, when I tried to ask this question, I was not thinking about Patreon or, or money or anything like that. So that was not my intention to, to say, Oh, people are paying you because it's, it's so little money. I, it's, it was not my intention. I just, because I, I, I struggled myself since, I had this really nice episode with with the Jehovah's Witnesses mm-hmm. uh, woman, and then I felt like oh, now I've done the the best thing I could do, and now I don't know what to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then uh, it's uh, when I look at my website. I mean, it's on the front page. When I when did I? release the last episode mm-hmm. it's nine months already and then oh shit it's 10 months and every month i think oh, i should i should do something but ah oh, jesus sure. how sure yeah. yeah 
Well, Gina, I thought about too putting some kind of newsletter together or something yeah. like that. Like, because I I always think, well, Chris is always producing all of these blog posts and stuff, and he's lining up the guests. I should jump in and come up with some other kind of content that we can produce when we're in our like off season, so that these folks who mm. who uh, who are providing us with money, but also just. I wouldn't even make that necessarily a Patreon specific thing. That would just be like a mailing list yeah. thing that I would set up on the website yeah. and say, you know, hey, if you're interested in the stuff that we do on Montreal Sauce, when we're in the off season, I'll send you a note here and there uh, about some of the stuff that Chris and I are working on in other places and interesting projects that we like and things like that. And and I keep mm-hmm. that's another one of those things where it's like I keep wanting to jump out and do that um, because mm-hmm. uh because I feel like, uh, also because I feel like I have stuff to say and stuff to write uh, that just never fi- finds an outlet, and this would be a perfect outlet for it. Uh, uh, I will, I will say it's interesting yeah, because yeah. from my perspective as a Gina's excellent encounters listener, <laughs> like, kind of like what you just said, like you, kind of, you're not. I, Again, Gina, you're not responsible for my emotions and feelings. Um, <laughs> but but you said, like, our show, because we don't release that regularly, it actually is kind of nice, even though you're not a completist, because you don't feel so bogged down with, like, oh, man, there's so many episodes to listen to. Um, yeah. That blew my mind. Because for me, like you are saying about your last show was nine months ago, I'm carrying around a little bit of shame, like, oh, when was the last time we did an episode? We have patrons, yeah. that kind of a thing. Yeah. And to hear you say that blew my mind. And 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 now that you're talking about like, oh, it's been nine months since your last show, I'm like, really? Because I just made the assumption that Gina was like, oh, man, this would be a good podcast. Can I interview you? And you were just doing it sort of organically and you weren't like, mm-hmm. oh, I need to have my next episode, you know. And I think that's, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm, I'm coming from the same perspective as you where I'm just like, oh, no, I, I didn't even kind of notice that it had been uh, that long because I just assumed mm-hmm. you were busy or you were waiting for the next really cool story to come. So. It's kind of interesting that we're both tearing down each other's assumptions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, cool. I, I think we should probably wrap up because we've got more than two hours now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Uh, but before we end, I have uh, I, I've talked to you, Chris, about it. So yeah, we could just do the quick thingy. So I I'm listening to this podcast which is uh, modern modern day philosophers where a com which a comic does and he always invites some other comic and then they talk about a specific philosopher mm. uh, in a way in a really interesting way where they get a quote from this p- philosopher and they most most of the time they don't know this philosopher and then they just talk a little bit about the quote what they feel it means and uh, how they interpret it themselves and because comics are kind of our modern day philosophers uh, mm. uh, it, it it's super interesting but i thought we could do the same like i i i found like two quotes uh the the first is by uh philosopher who is from Slovenia I think is he is and he's called Slavoj Žižek 
and he's a he's a Marxist uh, and but he yeah a modern Marxist I would say and sure. he is not super against uh, all this. He is obviously against capitalism and so on, <laughs> but but in a modern way, basically he he. he he doesn't want to uh, Stalinism. He's a Marxist, so, so. right. Yeah, <laughs> Let, yeah. Let's leave it like that. Sure. <laughs> and uh, he he has a quote where he says, "Why be happy when you could be interesting?" Yeah. So uh, yeah, uh, perhaps yeah, Paul. Perhaps you start. What do you think? It's it's a good thing to be happy instead of interesting, or what does it mean? What would what would you say? Um, I'm I'm not sure that they have to be in opposition to each other. Um, meaning, I think there are people who are both interesting and happy. Although um, I don't think that uh, I don't think that our end goal should be that we are just constantly happy. Like that would be a very monotone life, and that probably would be honestly an uninteresting life if that if that was just your goal is I just want to be happy all the time. Well, you know, it's easy enough to contrive a, a life in which you're just always content, um, mm -hmm. but there probably wouldn't drive a lot of meaning from that. Uh, whereas I think if you're if you're if you are interesting in some way, meaning you know. There And there's a lot of different ways that you could take the word interesting. Like, does interesting mean uh, you are quirky and then other people are, you know, oh, Paul is interesting because he does these weird voices or he's interesting because, <laughs> uh, you know, because he plays some instrument or, or whatever that is. Um, but also, um, you know, humans are innately interesting in some way because of all of the different ways in which we do exhibit our emotions beyond happiness. We have all of these other emotions mm -hmm. that are available to us and they are a critical part of how we drive our behaviors. Um, and, uh, yeah. you know, but, but certainly I can see why you would put those two ideas in opposition, happiness and interestingness, mm -hmm. because when you look mm -hmm. at, you know, when you do look at comics, uh, and you look at uh, <laughs> when you look at people and, you know, a lot of them are not fundamentally happy people, but they drive joy or they drive some kind of fulfillment uh, out of trying to make other people happy or at least make other people laugh like, um, you know, drive away, dri drive away the negative <laughs> feelings for a little while. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, and Chris, what is your take on it? Mm. <laughs> it's interesting because, uh, yeah, well, that's my favorite word. Interesting, so it's right there in the quote. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I, it, when I first read it, I thought of uh, something that like the author and I guess uh, sort of philosopher Mark Twain once said was like he. He said he'd rather go to 
held in heaven because there's no laughter in heaven because everything's mm. perfect. And we often laugh uh -huh. at things that are imperfect or mistakes. Sure. Yeah. And um, sure. so yeah. I felt like this was sort of along that line, like, why be happy when you could be interesting? And uh, yeah. yeah, like there is, I, I agree with Paul, there seems to be a modern, I don't know if it's modern, but an, an ideal that like we can achieve some sort of happiness state where everything is happy all the time. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and, yeah. and it's not, it's, it's just not possible. And, uh, and it probably would be boring, I guess. Um, yeah. To be in a constant yeah. state of pure amusement all the time. And so I, I think you really, I think you appreciate like those happier times when you've been down, <laughs> like, you you need it's like yeah. two sides of a coin so that, that's what i would say so i i really i really like what uh, mr zizek is that how i say it saying here yeah i don't know zizek yeah i don't know <laughs> yeah slavoj yeah yeah i yeah that's interesting because i i i'm thinking so if we in pop culture if we see like people in constant I, I, I kind of thought of uh, the movie Wally -E and the, the the humans on those yeah. ships, which yeah, which oh. are always uh, yeah. like happy and uh, and everything, but they are just blobs of of matter basically, right? <laughs> because they <laughs> right, <laughs> they don't do anything, but they everything is done for them. They are totally happy. They don't need to right. do anything. Right, that's not a society in which. I would want to live in. They're they're content, but they're not fulfilled, which I think is yeah. is an interesting aspect of it. And the other thing that I love about now you're going to get me started about the movie Wall-E, and I need to get going. <laughs> but uh, me too. <laughs> but the thing that I love about the movie Wall-E is that Wall-E himself is a flawed character. Like he should not, not a flawed character. He's a flawed robot. He should not yeah. have the emotions that he exhibits. He should not be able to repair himself. He should not mm. have grown in this way. Like he's the one that was able to survive and he developed all of these quirks. And mm. when he is introduced into the sterile environment of the Axiom, uh, he makes everything that he interacts with more human. Uh, which I think is interesting. Mm. Like all of the humans yeah. have kind of become the robots. They're just a cog yeah, in the machine. Yeah. They they purely exist to consume things, um, and that's that's all that it is. They are literally a cog in the machine that is capitalism at that point. Um, yeah. And uh, and he is introduced, and suddenly he introduces, uh, you know, caring and helpfulness and. Uh, and uh, he's a threat to one of the other robots, and uh, and everything suddenly starts becoming interesting when Wally is around. So um, yeah. that you know, it's almost the perfect <laughs> movie reference to go along with what you were talking about uh, being happy versus being interesting, because everybody's content, everybody's yeah. fine, except the captain r suddenly yeah. realizes, like, wait a minute. We're supposed to be some like we have a purpose. We have something to be doing. Let's get back to uh, what we were supposed to be doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> true. True. Yeah. There's cool. Thanks. Hey, no problem. Uh, one more thing. <laughs>
I have another quote, so that's uh, what I why, what I'm lining up now. <laughs> okay, go for it. So the the other one is uh, Vladimir Lenin, another Marxist, <laughs> uh, and. And he said, a lie told often enough becomes the truth. Boy. Yeah, that's a a much bigger one. I think you could also attribute that to Donald Trump if you wanted to. Um, Oh, interesting. That's because that, I think, is the, uh, you know, now I'll I'll get political and turn everybody back off again. But... (laughs) Uh, but I, I just feel like that is the, that is the theme of, uh, of the administration that we have right now in the United States is like, you know what, we're not even gonna, we're not even going to be ashamed of it. We're just going to tell them what we want them to believe. And we're going to keep telling them that until they believe it. Uh, and even if they don't believe it, at least we turned it into a debate and now we have to fight about what is truth instead of, yeah. Instead of exactly yeah. e- embracing truth and having the fight about how we fix the problem, uh, now we have to have the fight about well, is it even really a problem? Well, yeah, the ice caps are melting, douchebag. It's a problem. We gotta <laughs> we gotta figure it out. So uh, yeah, that that was my first thought too when I read it. it was like, <laughs> oh yeah, like this is kind of like the Trump era, but I'm just like trying to take a different perspective since you mentioned it, like. It's also interesting, like, a lie eventually becomes the truth or whatever is the quote. Like, it's interesting from a standpoint of society just in general, like, how we judge ourselves. And I have a really bad example because it's not me, per se, but, like, fashion, um, which definitely affects, like, uh, women more often than men. Mm -hmm. But, like, you know, it's like shaving your legs or your armpits and that kind of a thing. Like that's like a social norm, but like, that's not how we as humans look all the time. (laughs) You know? So yeah. Is that like a lie we're wearing outwardly like makeup and fashion and, you know, I don't know. I just think I find that interesting. Like because it becomes a social norm, like it's a social norm, I guess, to put in my perspective, like for men to be manly, I'm supposed to like barbecuing and I'm supposed to want to pick a fight with you and all these Mm -hmm. things. And, and that's a lie. Like I'm a human, just like the rest of you. And I get sad when, you know, Bambi dies, you know, like, come on. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I have a, a, a much more personal take on this. Uh, so I remember I got in trouble with with the police one time. Mm. It doesn't matter about what or anything. It does. But uh, I was <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Uh, I I was really young, and uh, my dad tried to help me to to like get out of it, basically. Mm. And he he kind of. Uh, told me the story which which was not the story how stuff was happening but which was a different story and he told me that i should really really remember it and so on and i i i we talked about it many times and so on so 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 it would be solid basically this lie became then the truth in my mind i don't remember anymore how it actually happened Mm. but when i go to this place i see that it physically could not have happened how 
how it, I have it in my memory. Sure. So we yeah. we totally changed uh, the truth in my memory to to a lie in my memory, but oh. I cannot remember the truth. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, that's so true. Like uh, that's um, yeah. That's so very true. Like, uh, we do that in our own memories. Like, we remember things differently. Paul and I remember our last podcast differently and things we said differently. It's, it's, <laughs> and it becomes the truth in your yeah. head, right? So, yep. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> and uh, my truth is uh, that I have an eye appointment in like uh, 10 minutes. So I should probably get <laughs> running down the oh. street. <laughs> yeah. Great. Okay. Yep. <laughs> yeah, then I would say thank you very much for having me. It was super fun. It's got much longer than I expected, but <laughs> uh, that's totally okay. <laughs> yeah, I had a we great had time. Yeah, thank yeah. you for joining yeah, us. Exactly, that was yeah. great. Yeah, and sorry to the listeners who are now listening in a non-live right. stream because like, we had live <laughs> problems. But hey, yeah. that's, the, that's, that's the how it works. That's I tried how. rebooting it. That yeah. didn't work. So we turned it off and restarted I it. I turned it off and turned it on again, and it <laughs> something something broke. I think it. I think it must have run an update and uh, broke the config file. Mm. It happens. So, uh, yeah, so yeah. Thanks for listening. Thanks so much again, Gina. This was awesome. I'm sure it's getting late there, so you probably want to go too. Um, and yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and we Paul and I will be back with Montreal Sauce um, on May 16th for sure with uh, an interview with an artist who is a mosaicist. And um, maybe we'll do a sauce pack before then, or maybe we'll spend time editing this massive episode. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, okay, great. Cool. All right. Thanks, Gina. Yeah, thanks, okay, Gina. Thanks, bye. Oh, Gina. Yeah? Uh, check out uh, our um, IRC room because someone wants your information. Um, someone ah, you've okay, already sure. interviewed. So. Cool. Ah. <laughs> oh, yeah, cool. <laughs> All right. Okay, see ya, guys. See ya. All right, see ya. Bye.